Keep On Moving, the official podcast of New Zealand Trucking Media. Here's Dave McCoy and Murray Lindsay. Welcome, everybody. Episode 9 of the Keep On Moving podcast. And we're all over the shoot again today for a variety of reasons. <laughs> for a variety of reasons. Anyway, let me introduce you uh, to Dave McCoy, the Editorial Director of uh, New Zealand Trucking Magazine. Hello, Dave. Hello, Muzz. How are you? And how are you, everybody? Welcome to Episode 9. Keep on moving. And we've got uh, Gavin Myers on, on that side of the planet. Hello, Gav. Hello, Muzz. Hello, everyone. And Carl Kirkbeck. Hey, Carl. Hey. How's it going, Muzz? All I, good? I, I don't recognise you when I call you by your real name. I know. I know. It's just, just, just not right, It's mate. just not the same. It's not the same. Uh, well, you know, like, uh, not so much COVID-y at the moment, are we? We're more sort of worrying about the bottom line and seeing the price of a subway go up. But, yeah. Uh, uh, as far as you guys are concerned, how's your month been, Dave? Yeah, no, month's been really good, busy months. Uh, we've all been spread all over the country. I've been down south, the boys have been out east again. Uh, plenty happening, we've got heaps of projects on the go. Matthew's keeping us busy with projects and things, and yeah, she's just, it's non-stop. It's this, it's, I'm dare not going to tell him that we've still got two hours of time that I can sleep in, because he'll fill that up. <laughs> <laughs> and you, of course, know he's listening right now. Yeah, okay. Totally, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Let's go to the beautiful noise from April. <laughs> and it was just a little beautiful noise that time. And uh, what was it, Dave, and who was our winner? That was only a snippet, wasn't it? Just as well we played them a bit more than that. Well, we didn't, but, actually. <laughs> That's why well, they we did it at the end, didn't we? We did at the end. They struggled. They struggled. We, they struggled. Yeah, no, they struggled. But we got a winner in the end. Our our good friend and uh, contributing associate at times, uh, Mike Varen in the Bay of Penny, struck that one. But you'd have to be his age or our age to get that because it was a 400 Cummins NTC big cam, so an engine of the era. And it was nestled between the chassis rails of Ed Solly's W model Kenworth, affectionately known to one and all as Rocky. There we right. go. All right, should we um, should we rip into May? I think we should rip into right. May. Yeah, right. this will wait. This will get them going. They'll get this. Too easy, Ooh, eh? Way. Oh, everyone knows way. what that is. <laughs> wow, it's going to be interesting to see. Come on, guys. The video that I took that from, it looked like a beautiful stretch of uh, highway. Where, where was it actually recorded? Oh, that'd be good. Oh, I can't away. tell you that. Oh, oh that's giving it away. Oh. No, 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 we can't tell you that. But we can tell you that next month. I think we'll be flooded with correct entries on yeah. this one. Okay, yeah. just a reminder, of course, our feature interview uh, this time around is Murray Francis from, is it, is it Murray Francis uh, Road Medals or MF Road Medals, Dave? What's the official uh, Murray Francis, Managing Director of Road Medals Limited, probably one of our more famous New Zealand trucking, quarrying uh, companies based in Omaru in the South Island originally and now spread far and wide with big uh, big establishments in Christchurch and still back in the home base of Omaru, but incredibly well-known company, an incredibly well-respected uh, company, and there's going to be a lot of people from Cape Reg and a Bluff that are going to be listening out for this one. And, of course, all about infrastructure too, important part of New Zealand's uh, building of infrastructure, right? Yep, absolutely. They pretty much... Uh, 
get stones and break it up and turn it into stuff you can drive on, as well as a, a, a myriad of other, anything you can do with crushed rock, really. All right, mood time, boys. Uh, time for a discussion and mood subject uh, this time around, Dave, is... Yep, Murray, so I think once again we're going to strike a, another one of those shows where it may not be a moot because we might actually all agree, but we may not, we may not, and the subject is a, a Transmission Gully for better or for worse, and Carl and I have seen Transmission Gully recently and lived it and driven on it, and Gav, we have to give Gav some concessions because he, he hasn't seen it yet, he's only read the stats and read its read its sorry history in terms of uh, cost and time overrun and arguing and bickering. But um, yeah, Carl and I spent the for the for the May issue with uh, Matt Sherlock at Hallenbach Haulage, and it's really interesting because he's based in Palmerston North, and a lot of his works to the Hawkes Bay, and a lot of his works Wellington. And once upon a time, if you went from Palmerston North to the Hawkes Bay and Palmerston North <laughs> to Wellington, there weren't any hills at all, really. And now with the saddle with the Manawatu Gorge now closed and defunct, they're building a uh, they're building a, a massive road over a range of. Uh, mountains to the immediate east of Palmerston North. And now if you want to go to Wellington, which used to be a dead flat drive as well, there's actually a highway to the stars because if you've seen Transmission Gully from the Paikokariki end, it is an enormous, it is enormous deviation. There are some big climbs in there. And the guys that are actually running the route on a regular basis are actually finding that time saving is very dependent on traffic and may actually be very little, if none at all. But fuel usage to get in and out of Wellington now has gone through the roof because you've got two big climbs and one um, one uh, reasonable sort of a climb. So what do you reckon, Captain and Kay? Is that, is that how you saw it? Yeah, well, yeah, it was it was uh, Maddie that sort of um, summed it up when uh, one of his good mates you know, sort of said that, what well, was it, a Volvo 700 that was doing there and back, in and out, uh, fully loaded both ways, was another 17 litres of diesel. Yeah, and for yet, a four-minute time-saving. For a four-minute uh, time-saving, yeah, exactly. And that's it. It's just, um, and it was Maddie, I think he summed it up, you know, <laughs> a year ago when they were sort of, um, first turning on the buddy lights and testing all the buddy light fittings and so forth and the boys that were running the nights were looking at these lights disappearing up the buddy hill and they were going, you know, Matty actually said, he said, geez, he said, is that the bloody road? It can't be the road. It's got to be, and it, sure enough, it is the road. And, you know, you've got to ask yourself, I mean, in this day and age, they've built a bloody road that's, um, you know, got a blooming slip lane on it, you know, with gravel and so forth, uh, you know, an arrestor lane for um, runaway trucks and so forth. And I... Geez, I think let's start taking bets now before how long it is we actually see one parked in there all bloody tangled up in a pile of bloody you know, gravel. Can I ask the question, can you still do the original route, though, in the truck? Yeah. Wow, can. that's the mood. You, you, yeah. you can, and, and mm. a lot of operators are making a decision based on time of the day and load mm. that they're carrying, but but that may all end at the permitting office. Yep. They may... They may it, it, nothing's been done yet. They can all use it, but someone at the permitting office at some stage might decide that's the that's the mega highway. There's too many trucks using the old highway. Yep. You need to use the new one. But I mean, it's interesting because if you look in a hundred years' time at what what did Transmission Gully actually cost? You know, like it's uh, that example that Carl talked about. That's over three thousand liters of diesel a year. Mm, more. Mm, mm, exactly. Your thoughts, uh, Gav, having not been on it. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that makes it a little bit more difficult to say. And I'm, you know, going on what the guys are saying, I'm, I'm more interested to see it now than, than ever. But, um, I mean, I suppose, yeah, it, it is here. It, it's operational. Um, so I think, you know, from that perspective, eventually it's been completed and putting aside, you know, the, the, uh, the strife that, um, that's that's been undergone to get here. Um, it should be seen as a win, I guess, purely from the view of 
advancement in infrastructure. Um, the country needs these sorts of infrastructure projects. I guess the same goes for the Mount Messenger bypass and, and all of the others, uh, the other large-scale roading projects around the country. Um, so from that point of view, yeah, I think think it's good. But hey, not not seeing it, not not having driven it. That that's about all I could probably comment. Yeah, and it's really interesting because Matt said uh, Matt Sherlock said, you know, when they're supposed to be building things with a hundred-year environmental sort of an argument going on in the background or a concern in the background, and you, you know, there's two classic examples of the saddle road and the transmission jelly, where cost to the environment over a hundred years is is going to be hugely amount more than had they kept a level playing field. I suppose is the way to. Yeah. So, so what you're saying, boys, it was it was designed for electric trucks, was it? Hey. Oh. Hey, everything uses energy, Muzz. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, electric trucks, of course, with the solar panels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see you've got one fitted to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I need it, brother. <laughs> All right, the moot, there we are. Any comments or thoughts, Dave, at nztrucking.co.nz? And do you get much feedback on this stuff, Dave? Do, you know, do people want to have a go at you about uh, your particular opinions? Oh yeah, occasionally I oh, yeah and that, but I'm like a punch drunk boxer now. Got hide like a rhino. Yep, yep. <laughs> All right, uh, I think we might go to Aussie now. It's uh, Mike Williams time. What's the plan? What are we talking about today? Well, the plan is on episode nine of our podcast, and episode God knows what of yours, about 312, I think, by the way, yeah. you keep racking up. Um, so, yeah, listening, uh, uh, fascinated with the Razorback interview with Chris Rowe a couple of weeks ago, because that was 79, April 79, and I was yep. a sum total of 65, 79, I would have been 13, coming up 14, yep. and of course, we could only get trucking life then, we had New Zealand Trucking Magazine was still six years away. And right. uh, so as a kid, you sort of knew more about what was going on politically in the Australian scene because that, that's all we could get. And, yeah. uh, and so, yeah, Razorback was a big thing. I remember seeing it, the issues, and, and uh, yeah, it was uh, real fascinating to, to listen to that interview with Chris. And uh, he was only a young fella at the time, and he was in the Razorback, but, st- but somewhere else, wasn't he? He was, he that's was right. like yeah. a satellite yeah. protest almost. Yeah, well, there were protests all over the road. The one that started up at Razorback itself uh, with, uh, you know, the Barry Grimson, the bloke I know who works for the same company as me, where that started, there was Barry and five, the five other guys. And then all over the country, um, sort of like blokes that were all facing the same issues, they, raised, they sort of just appeared out of the woodwork. They sort of seeped up and, and blocked off the roads in other places. And uh, Chris, I think, was uh, was down around on the down around the Murray River border somewhere down there, uh, from memory. And uh, he was only he was only a young bloke himself. But Chris is a third Chris's business is a third generation business. So there was Chris's dad, then Chris himself, and now Chris's son. Right. Yeah. Part of the business there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Ted Stevens was the, the the sort of one of the masterminds behind the whole thing. He ended up mm. writing a book, didn't he, called Razorback: The True Story, which you said is reasonably difficult to get nowadays. It is reasonably difficult to get your hands on. We'll see if we can source one for you and send it over to New Zealand. Oh, I'd, oh, I'd love to have a read. Yeah, I'd love to have a read now that I'm a big growner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, he changed the hell out of a few people in there. It is a, 
it's not something you want to read if you're lying in bed waiting to go to sleep, mate. It's not so because it, it, it's a page turner, I tell you. It's a page turner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, one thing I'll pick up on too is you said there when you were talking to Chris, just yeah. a comment you made that I found interesting, and I thought, oh, I must talk to Mike uh, about that next time I'm eating fush and chops. And um, <laughs> is, um, is, is, uh, you said, uh, raise it back, raise it back, blah, blah, blah. We couldn't yeah. do it now, and you kept on talking. And I thought, oh, really? You couldn't do it now? What's uh, like? Because over here, we're quite pissed off because the government keeps spending road user charges on cycle lanes. Yeah. And so there's a fair bit of turmoil boiling under the skin over here. Um, yeah. And so uh, interesting that you, could, you say you couldn't do it now. Why is that? Well, there's a couple of reasons why you couldn't do it now. One of, the, one of them is that, that uh, I believe Nifty Neville Rand, who was the Premier of New South Wales at the time that Razorback happened, decided that we can't let that happen again and changed the, uh, the rules a little bit to allow the police to uh, remove vehicles from the road to actually clear the road. Um, oh, right. Okay. So, so if you did it again, the army tanks would arrive and she'd be all over. Well, that's the threat, you know. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll drag your truck off the road with a bulldozer. Yeah. Of course, um, you know. There's also the the whole legal issues around doing the whole thing. What are you setting yeah. the place on fire? What's yeah, no, Tim's is on fire, mate. The fire siren's just going off, mate. Is uh, yep. The, uh, the volunteer fire brigade will put down their pint and head to the head to the fire brigade. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unreal. Unreal. Yeah. Anyway, we'll just have to work our way through it, I suppose. Oh, that's a sound effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it could be. You're talking about something dangerous now. The bloody alarms have just gone off. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, so, so, yeah, so Nifty changed the rules a little bit to uh, make it a little bit easier for the police to intervene and clear the road. So yeah. that's one thing. But the other part about this too is that the, the level of investment in trucks these days is pretty high. And I think it would take someone with... You know, a fairly large uh, amount of intestinal fortitude to take risk yeah, of what okay. was going to happen. Yeah. I mean, we saw we saw in Brisbane there um, recently where uh, Tony Fulton and, and uh, one of his mates decided that they were going to you know, block the highway south out of Brisbane and uh, yeah. in uh, complaint with the COVID mandates and all the all the rest of that. And I had predicted before that happened, that no one would do it. Well, Tony proved me wrong Yeah. Uh, by, by going out there and doing it and stood up for what he believed, I might add. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, since then, Tony has uh, left full-time driving. He's still involved in the industry and uh, you know, he, he's a, a, an informative bloke to talk to, but unfortunately, he's no longer out there you know, working the working the way we do so yeah 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 now it's an interesting thing because like <clears throat> like and, and i realize that uh, there's a whole heap of australian listeners listening to me at the moment as a new zealander talking about roads and you'll all be going geez mate you want to come over to Tanama, mate you bloody chicken <laughs> mate, you, don't, you don't know what a bloody bad road is mate you're just a bunch of poofters um <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, but yes, we did have great raids in New Zealand, but we don't now. And like, where does an operator walked into one of the CEO offices of one of our associations and dropped a shock absorber on his desk and said, "That's forty-seven thousand k's old and it's absolutely stuffed." And that is that that truck only goes up and down one of one of our eight major state highways. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's and so, but, yeah. yeah. So if you, yeah, if you want to ride for an e-bike, here's the place to come. If you want to ride for a B train, this is not the place to come. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, so yeah, there's a fair bit of blood boiling under the skin over here. I'll give you the tip. 
Um, so the other thing was that you were talking to Chris Rowe about at the same time as well is um, the, the sort of the, in the state of the industry at the moment with operators that probably aren't quite aware of the costs mm. of running their trucks at the moment and they're price takers rather than price makers or stamp their feet and stand up for a price and, and fix co- the, the, the peril of fixed costs being too high, sending some guys to the wall. Well, we've had a massive change here as far as the price of fuel is concerned in the last several months or the last month or so. Uh, the price of fuel diesel has just gone through the roof, and I'm sure it has in New Zealand as well. Um, we've had the Ad Blue crisis here. Uh, there are a number of costs that drivers, owner drivers, have got no control over that uh, they're now trying to deal with. And the problem with it is, is that, uh, and I don't know what it's like trying to get into the trucking business in in New Zealand, but here, if you've got the money, you go and buy a prime mover. You can hire a trailer, buy a trailer. You can rent to own prime movers. Got, if you've got a thousand bucks, you can get a truck these days, basically. And then you go to whichever one of the majors you choose to, cart their freight uh, at whatever rate they say, and then go and swim in the pond. Yeah. And, and there's no background understanding required. You just go out and swim in the pond. And Do you guys have to sit at? Do you, do you guys have to sit on a fine and upstanding noble person test before you get started or? I wouldn't have ever owned a truck if that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what an absolute ripper. Yeah, no, we do here. We, ha- we do here. Yep. Oh, right. Eh? Yeah, no, you've got to do a, I'm a, what is it, fit and proper person test. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. But the, oh, yeah, I, 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 I flew through it. So the bar's quite yeah. low. So, <laughs> yeah. But we've just, just had a bloke gone to jail for like 10 years for a $3.8 million um, diesel fuel credit sort of uh, a rort that he got busted for. Yep. He got busted for having 313 kilos of bloody methamphetamine or something in the boom of a of a tow truck boom he was importing. They cut it out with an angle grinder. and Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So he got a job for a long time. So yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, unbelievable. And it's interesting you say that. Very. The reason I touched on it is because I just had an interview uh, today for the for the podcast with uh, Nick Leggett, who's the CEO of one of our industry associations. About and one of the things we touched on was it's one of the problems is in terms of recruitment and people coming into the industry and a whole plethora of things is it's still just too bloody easy to get going in this industry. Because I always, I said to him, look, I always relate it back to the fact that it's the largest single moving object allowed free reign in society under the control of one person. Yeah. So it needs to be, it needs to be hard to do it. Well, the the fact is, uh, if you look at the situation in the States where they've got their Department of Transport number, um, there are a certain amount of bars that you need to, to reach to get one of those things. And that way you've got a certain level of understanding that the people know, you know what it means to maintain a truck properly and, and actually know the, know the ground rules. And then, of course, you've got to get a commercial driver's license. So you know, can't just go and drive a truck. I can't go to the States and just drive a truck. Neither can you. Yeah. Uh, but yet someone can come to New Zealand, I believe, or Australia, and within a few days be driving a bloody truck on the road, making money as a commercial truck driver. It just makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Agreed, agreed, agreed. 
Hey, uh, hey, interesting thing. One of the podcasts of recent that I was talking to, you did that uh, in something to talk about. Your something to talk about section, where you just throw something out there and for, for people to stew on. And that those that yeah. bloody list of 10, 11 things that make a good man boy. It was Alex Mathers, the guy that. Yeah. Like some yeah, of them, Mathers. I thought. I thought. Mathers. Oh yeah, Mathers. I thought there was a couple of them there. I thought he hit the nail on the head, and the other times I thought he hit his thumb. <laughs> That's right. He was a, that's why I said, mate, I said, I don't necessarily agree with all of this stuff. Yeah. Some of it, yeah, all right. But, I mean, we do that section on the show because it's something to, it is something to think about and something to talk about. Yeah. So, you know, you can talk about it, you know, I, I heard this on the on the radio, I heard this on the show, and, you know, I heard this, what do you think of it? And it's just you know, yeah. something to while away the time while you're driving down the road on the UHF talking to your mate on yeah. you know, whatever, and, you know. Yeah, yeah, well, it certainly picked me up because a couple of them I was like, oh, you agree with that? Oh, you agree with that? Then you said like number seven or eight or nine. And I was like, holy shit, I'm just about driving to the drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. surprised he didn't get hit with a hammer, but anyway. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, can you pass a message on to uh, um, Andy for me? Oh, look, I'm sure I, we could do that. Andy, are you listening? Yeah, Andy, the, the dad joke, the dad joke, um, the toweling that I gave you a few weeks ago, all is forgiven. Yeah, a couple of the recent ones about the children and the sperm were just were, put, you're you're on top, mate. You're on top. No, no, I, I don't know where I'd be without Andy's uh, Andy's uh, introduction to the news every week, and certainly the thought for the uh, the thought for the week at the end often gives me something to think about, which is you know, mildly amusing. And he's got I don't an, know where he comes up with it. He's got an amazing wife. He must have the most tolerant wife in I, the world. He does. He does. She looks after him. He does. Uh, yeah, yeah. He takes a hell of a risk, you know. Talking oh, about. flipping all right, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Okay, everybody, at our end, it's called uh, On the Road Podcast. It drops every Friday afternoon. It's Mike and Andy. It's a great listen. It's a great listen for uh, across the Australian scene in terms of what's happening in, in the in the trucko political sense. And uh, it's also got it's got music. It's got artists being released. It's got up and coming artists. It's got general truck information. Uh, it's a great uh, it's a great it's a great listen. Oh, and something I have to say to you too, Mike. Before we go, I was in Invercargill. Yep. Last week, southernmost city in New Zealand in the world, evidently. And I was sitting at a level crossing. The lights were flashing. There was a train coming. You could see the train. It was it was because the railway line pretty much goes through the guts of the city. There was yep. a guy opposite me, and you could just you could just t- you could see it. You could see it in his eyes. You could see his fingers on the steering wheel, his thumbs. You could see the white knuckles across the. And I was like, "Don't do it, mate. Don't." There were no barrier arms, but the lights were going bing, 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 bing. And and a couple of times he made eye contact with me and I looked straight at him and I shook my head once and he looked at me and he looked at the train and the white knuckles and the lights were flashing and the train would have been 50 metres away and he shot across the line. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Couldn't believe it. Yeah, just just incredible. And I thought, well, there it is. There it is. Right, there it is. What we talk about, mate. What we talk about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and um, so yeah, Queensland Rail, obviously big uh, supporters of the show, and you're big supporters of their safety campaigns for level crossings. And obviously, your trains are eight times the length, three hundred times the weight, and fifty times the speed. But you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter. A train and a Toyota Corolla are never going to mix. No, and and uh, we've had a great partnership with Queensland Rail, and I and I think it's something that's going to go on into the future. Safety is very, very important to them, and it's very, very important to us. It's part of the message of the show. You know? Yeah, yeah. Road yeah. safety, mental health, and well-being, and uh, general information about trucking and and what's going on. 
Yep. So, yeah, very And it's important. the same over here, people. If the lights are dinging and the train's visible and it, it's never worth it, just sit there. Like it's, it's never going to make the difference. It's not going to be the, it's not going to be the be all end all of your life success. If you let this pissing train go past. And you can watch them go past too. It's fun to read the graffiti on the carts, on the carriages. Ah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Mike Williams, thanks very much for being part of Keep On Moving podcast, and it's an absolute thrill for us to be um, part of the uh, on the road setup as well. Thank you for your time and your support. And thank you for your time and your support too, mate. And oh, before we go, yes, tell me something, mate. There's a buddy New Zealand company. Yes. Appetizer for drivers in Australia. Doesn't that make a difference? Take that, you bastards. <laughs> <laughs> what was their name? I wrote it down. Hilton Hawley. Oh, now, come home to New Zealand? Question yes. mark. Well, there you go. See, they're not actually advertising. They're not actually asking for Australian drivers. They're asking for Kiwis. Are you ready to come home? Well, we could send a few home, mate. <laughs> Yeah. There was a yeah. bit of an issue with that. I think Jacinda was a little bit pissed off. We were yeah, no, it. yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, but it's the other ones we want. <laughs> well, you know, look, I'm looking at, I'm looking at it. You've got, uh, you've got pipe trucks and flatbeds and B doubles, and there's a sort of a, uh, there's a twin steer thing, bogey drive with a bit of a big tipper on the back. But what do they do? A bit of everything, do they? Mate? Yeah, yep. No, they're a general, uh, they're a general, general carrying, general carrying company, old South Island name down no, there. It's all over the place. They've got a little map in New Zealand, which is yep. probably about the size of Victoria. Yeah, and little yellow dots all over the place, mostly down the south, uh, southeast of the South Island. And yeah, that's it. Yep, that's it. They're sort of uh, yep down the southeast of the South Island is the is their original turf, but they're pretty widespread now. You'll find an HH truck many locations. No, no, they all right to work for, aren't they? <laughs> I suppose so. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, they're just a uh, yep. They're uh, obviously just trying to uh, see if anyone wants to come back and have some fush and chops. In their jandals. In their jandals. Yeah. The thong over that? here is an entirely different garment. I'm just saying. <laughs> I might have to email people at hilton.co.news and come out for a working holiday and annoy you buggers for a couple of weeks. Oh, I'd love it. Free accommodation at our place. <laughs> Righto. Dave, thanks for being on the show, mate. You take care and we'll see you on the road. Fantastic. Keep on moving. Keeping thousands of companies at their most productive, the name Mitsubishi Forklifts by Centra Forklifts has become synonymous with quality, reliability and value for money. Our distinctive green trucks can be seen at work sites and in warehouses all around the world. With Mitsubishi Forklifts, reach trucks, order pickers, pallet trucks and more, all serving the backbone for some of the busiest and demanding operations around. Innovative design, cutting-edge technology and uncompromising quality are the standards that define everything we do. So if you are wanting short or long-term lease options, or to buy, contact the team at Centra Forklifts, your Mitsubishi Forklifts dealer in New Zealand. Phone 0508 367 548 or visit www.mitforklift.co.nz. Keep on moving, episode nine, and we are going all the way to the other side of the world to see one of our nearest and dearest, well, furthest and dearest friends, actually, the genuine good bugger of the motherland, Will Shires Commercial Motor Magazine. How are you? I'm good, Dave. How are you? She's a big issue coming up for you. So New Zealand Trucking Magazine from 1985, rough as guts, bit of maths here. We've got 407 issues under our belt. Will, in the beginning of July, <laughs> Commercial Motor Magazine is about to print their sixth thousandth 
issue. Yeah, that's right. We haven't missed a single week since uh, I think it was March 1905. 90, yeah, and you haven't been in control for all of them, though. Yeah, I feel like I have, but <laughs> no. I've been years. <laughs> and what's it? And what's in the magic book? Well, it's a load of history. So, um, basically, we've, we've looked at the one thousand, two thousand, three, four, and five thousand issues. What we had in those, yeah. And then there's historic features. Um, for instance, looking at the decline of the British truck industry, where it all went wrong, start of commercial motor, and there was literally hundreds of British truck manufacturers, and yep. of course, gradually went down to. Not a lot. That's exactly right. And um, you've got quite an exciting test coming up, or multi-test, or multi-truck test. You, for the, is it your first multi-EV, um, multi-EV gathering? Yeah, that's right. We, we always do, um, each year we do one or two group tests on the magazine, but this is the first time we've managed to get enough electric vehicles together to do uh, yeah, an EV group test. Right. We think we're going to have four, nine of them in total. Far out, is that right? Is that right? Don't charge them all up at once. The country will go off the grid, buddy. <laughs> what? Uh, so, uh, is that? Are they all in one weight class, or have you got the breadth of classes across there? No, we, we, we've got a mix there. They're starting at seven and a half tons for the uh, the Fuso, and um, I'm not sure what weight the Dennis Eagle is. That's quite possibly twenty six tons. Right. Um, I'll find out. We see what they uh, what they turn up with. Right. Right. And have, have you had a have you had a bit of a strop around the block in any of those already, or are they all going to be new to you? Yeah, I've, I've driven the Eactros, the um, the Volvo, and the Renault before, but the uh, the rest are going to be new. So it's Scania. Um, we're hoping we might get a Teva there as well. That'd oh, right. Quite good. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And, and have you had a strop in an Ecanter? Yes, yes, I have. Um, yeah, a couple of years ago in Berlin, but right. never over here. The truck bash coming up, Stanley Park. There's going to be a decent size alternative fuel contingent there. Like, are those will those trucks all be there on display, on display and doing shit? Or we've got various zones, and one of them is the freight in the city zone, which is all low emission vehicles. Right. Okay. So, uh, oh, okay. So, thirtieth of June to third of July. Thirtieth of June to the second of July. Second of July. Stanley Truck Park, Warwickshire. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Better get it right, just in case there's people bracing themselves to get on a plane and go over. But it should be a good show. As I said before, we've got um, at least nine truck manufacturers. Um, and you've just been in the United States of America and doing one of your sideline little acts when you're not printing a magazine a week. Um, yeah. Which is hunting out and photographing derelict cars. Yeah, I, I admit it's a bit of a strange hobby, but um, I think since I was about five years old, I've loved nothing more than walking around old scrapyards. Right. And uh, I've been doing since I was uh, 16. So is it so, uh, is it the scrapyard thing you pursue or is it drive along the Midwest or something and you see you know, a wreck laying in a paddock and you jump the fence and brave the rattlesnakes and go and take a picture? It used to be just roadside relics. But right. these days, they cleared away. It's so hard to find anything at the side of the road. Oh. So it's just yards. There's so few decent salvage yards left. Is that so right? Back, most towns had their own, uh, their own junkyard, but... They've all gone due to environmental pressures, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, did you? Was it a fruitful trip, or does it, I'm not sure if it sounds like a fruitful trip yeah. or not. Yeah, fantastic. Found some brilliant, brilliant yards in Arizona, and also a couple of canyons where um, hundreds of cars had just been pushed over the edge about 30 or 40 years ago. And right. That was great, but a bit worrying because you can hear rattlesnakes. Yeah, well, it'd be good home for rattlesnakes, wouldn't it? And Arizona would preserve them quite well, wouldn't it? They'd they wouldn't nothing rusts. But I mean, these, these cars are covered with bullet holes, though. Are they really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely no parts left on them. Everything riddled with holes. That's but, um, amazing. Still. What have you found in the way of Dero trucks? 
Anything cool? On this trip, not a lot. Just just pickups, really. Yeah. Um, in the past, you know, quite a few, um, you know, a bit of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, interest, no interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. And we have we can't go without mentioning, um, uh, I don't know, if, uh, C.W. McCall passing away. Yeah, I know. Very sad, but, I mean, he'd had a good old life, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And you're a great fan of the movie. The, the movie, those great stories you've done for us recreating movie sets in the States of where the films were shot and things like that. And as soon as I saw yeah. it, like, obviously for myself, I thought, oh, no. And then I thought, oh, we'll all be gutted. Yeah, no, and I, like, like like you, I was brought up on those films. So that's what got me into the industry. You yeah, know? absolutely, absolutely, yep, absolutely. Um, so, oh, that's right with the American thing. You were saying you were driving around in a brand new Ford Bronco, and you reckon she was a bit of a good machine? Oh, brilliant! Especially getting to these canyons in the middle of nowhere, proper off roading. and yep. God, that thing fascinating. What was under the hood? Uh, only a two point three Eco Boost, I think. Um, oh, really? Yeah, plenty of poke. Yeah, yeah, and auto and and four-wheel drive and shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, nice big wheels on it as yeah, well. Yeah, you yeah, 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 yeah. No, they don't, well, they don't do anything small over there, do they? No, they don't. <laughs> but unfortunately, we were staying in a different hotel every night, so I couldn't take the roof or the, or the doors off. Um, <laughs> I doubt there's anyone uh, in the international market that's using us as their guideline for shows and events, but the Truck Bash 2022, Stanley Park, 30th of June to 2nd of July. Be there yeah. or be there or be square. Congra- congratulations on the 6,000th coming up. Um, we'll catch up to you in about 200 years, I would imagine. And uh, and uh, you should uh, send us one over, and we'll send us a couple over, and we'll give one away. Brilliant. I'll do that. Right, so, All the best, mate. Talk to you again in a month. Cheers, Dave. Okay. New Zealand Trucking Magazine, the original voice of the New Zealand trucker. Okay, boys, let's talk about the Jacobs Engine Brake Competition. How does that work? Yeah. Last year, 2021, was the 60th year birthday of the Jacobs Engine Brake. Now, what you'll know the Jacobs engine brake as is the thing that causes towns to put that sign at the front of their town saying no engine braking. I always wondered about that. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the big rattly noise that some trucks make to help slow them down. And uh, it's a very famous piece of kit. Okay, last year in the October magazine, that's the one with Storm Harrison's T950 on the cover, we ran an article called The Symphony Turns 60, which was celebrating the 60 years of Jacob's engine brake. Now, I got in touch with our good friends at, at Jacob's uh, Engine Systems in the United States of America in uh, Bloomfield, Connecticut, and they have sent us out. I told them what we were doing. They said, give us a read of it, and they had a read of it, and they liked it. And they, I said, what about some prizes, and we'll run a competition at some stage, and they sent us out one, two, three, four, five Jake Brake T-shirts with the new the new Jake Brake logo on it. Uh, there's three XLs, and because we're New Zealanders and they're Americans, so they'd probably go a 2XL New Zealand, and there's two mediums, which would probably go a large, to give away. And, of course, what we're going to do, well, how we're going to give these uh, T-shirts away is you're going to uh, text me uh, your best Jacob's Brake impersonation done by your good self. Captain K, do you want to give a demonstration? Of, give us your best Jacob's Brake I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, well, there's no protection on this blooming uh, microphone, mate. It'll get saturated. Hold it full of spit, mate. <laughs> Come on. Hey, 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 this is my microphone. Easy back. Well, that was sharp. Hey. That was sharp. How's that? Hey. How's that? Hey. I like the in the distance effect. Oh, I know. I know. As it fades right. away. Yeah, right. Here's me. Go on, Gav, you must. Oh, Go on, okay. Oh, no, it disappeared. It disappeared. you got to oh, come back. Yeah, yeah, no, straight into the microphone. Give us another go. Oh, hell. 
Jeez, okay. Come on. <laughs> you guys are making me laugh. No, go on. <laughs> Give us your best one. Hang on. Got to get a straight face here. Oh. No, no, That's the Jacob's again. engine brake by Dyson. <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed to clean your house. Uh, yeah. I just have to say you've got no idea how far Gav would have been out of his comfort zone doing that, mate. Yeah, that's, but, no, so that's how, awesome. Just explain to me how someone's supposed to text this to you, though. What you do is you do a little recording on your phone. Oh, you recording yeah. on the phone. Recording okay. on the phone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Give us, text, text, me, text me your recording. Tell us. Tell me what your name is. So 27 Do your best, Jake, and do it. Tell me what your name is. And next uh, next month on the podcast, we'll have a winner. Right. Sounds yep. good. Perfect. And don't forget, there's one, two, three... Four or five T-shirts to give away, so five people. And if you can remember, let us know if you'd rather have an XL or a medium, and and we'll just see whatever we go. We'll see Otherwise, whatever you get the small woman's size. Oh yeah, you'll get whatever we got left. But there'll be five winners, so the five best ones will get a prize. This is episode nine of the Keep On Moving podcast in association with New Zealand Trucking Magazine. Well, now we're on to something really exciting in the podcast, and that's events and things happening in the industry. And we all know that there's lots of things building up in the longer term, but we've got a couple coming up in the shorter term, things that you can really immerse yourself in in the next month or so. And of course, this time of year, all roads lead to Gore uh, with the massive festival that happens down there during Queen's birthday weekend, one of which we all know well, uh, the Gore Truck Show, Saturday, June uh, the 4th, 2022. It's uh, it's the place to be if you're south of, well, Cape Reanga, really just go to Gore, just find a way to Gore. And it's always a fantastic show. It's a great festival. Uh, it's a great um, it's a great atmosphere that's always there. Uh, there's a parade, uh, departs transport repairs at uh, 2 p.m. There's uh, judging um, and uh, from 9 a.m. Uh, and then prize giving uh, at 4 p.m. Um, driver entry is uh, $10. Your contact for the Gore Truck Show is, as always, the wonderful Rhonda Wilson on 027-257-8895 or email goretruckshow at gmail.com. The day after the Gore Truck Show, there is a really cool event, and it is called the Hokanui Ute Muster. And in charge of the PR and promotion around that is our friend, uh, Annabelle Roy. Welcome to Keep Morning. On Again. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here again. So tell us all about a Ute Muster and, and what is a Ute Muster and what happens in a Ute Muster and it sounds bloody neat. Yeah, look, it is fun. It, it all came up because uh, in the States and in Australia, country music and pickup trucks go hand in hand. Yes. Uh, we all know that Gore is the uh, capital of New Zealand's country music uh, and in late May and early June of each year, there's there's typically always the Tussock Country Country Music Festival, New Zealand's Country Music Festival held down in Gore. Now that big festival isn't happening this year for we all know why reasons, um, but we are still doing some of the outdoor events and the Hokanui Ute Muster is part of that. Now we're not mustering sheep, we are actually mustering the Utes from uh, Southland and beyond. Uh, we had the first one last year, we had over, I think over 80 Utes turn up, there's prizes for all categories. It's a Sunday afternoon. There's coffee trucks and food trucks and country music and judging. And it's it's a good day to just come down from the hills, from the towns, with your utes, with your dogs, uh, and muster for um, Southland Rural Mental Support. And so last year, was there, like, there was a great turnout of, of utes and it had, like, customy stuff done to them? Or, like, mm. like, like was it jaw-dropping or...? 
Yeah, it was. We, it was a bit of an unknown, to be quite honest with you, last year. It was our first one. We put it out there into the world, and then there was no pre-registration. We just had to wait and see who turned up on the day. We were delighted with the turnout. Uh, there was some amazing custom utes. There was some really, uh, look, they hadn't seen a, a hose or a wash brush in their life, rural utes. Um, there was some great dogs. We have a bark off uh, and prizes for the best dog in a ute. Um, we have a mullet off, so the, the prize of the, you know, the best drive with the best oh, mullet. Glorious. So she's pretty, uh, she's pretty grassroots gore, but uh, yeah. we celebrate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the utes themselves are great too. Oh, absolutely! And really interesting point you touch on what you say about you know you had the customised utes turn up, but I was down in the South Island just this last week at the very bottom of the heartland, and and you just it, you see those utes that are on station utes, and like you know, like you say, they've never seen a wash brush, and they roar up those gravel roads and over paddocks, and that, and they've got a dog and one of those metal dog things in there. Yeah, it's just so typifies the it's so cool, isn't it? And the guy yeah, always yeah. wave you pass them on a. You're in a bloody rental car and you pass them, they always wave, put their hand up, they do the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's good. No, it's really good. Yeah. They do yeah. have the they do have the dogs, but they've also got they usually their offices as well. Yeah. Uh, and we celebrate the trader Utes. Um and yeah, best turned out four wheel drive and two wheel drive and the most uh, the most road legal Utes. They've got all got to be road legal, but with the most K's and all of that yeah. stuff. So it's yeah. great prizes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So that mm. there you go. Gore's the place to be at Queen's birthday weekend. Take a woolly jumper. And uh, but the warmth from the from the from both of those events, and I know the Gore Truck Show was a warmly warmly welcomed and loved truck show event, and a lot of people will go to. And the Hokanui Ute Muster stay the night, catch the Ute Muster. That'll be just a bunch of fun, I would imagine. Uh, who do we contact, Annabelle, if you want to? Uh, if you've got a 1983 Hilux, buddy, and you're thinking to drag her out of the shed and take her to the Ute Muster, who what what, what, what do we do there? Uh, look, you can contact me, but uh, you can also go to www.gwd.co.nz they are our uh, main sponsor uh, and all around good buggers uh, and they are hosting the online registration and all the information so gwd.co.nz um, and uh, we guarantee you there'll be some country music and Gore will put on a warm welcome we assure you fantastic hey thanks for reporting in that's great information there's also uh, we're post- putting posters up on the social media pages for both those events as well thanks for coming along Talk, chat to you next time Thank you very much. Sell your truck with Truck and Light Commercial Trader from $39 per month. Your industry-based used truck and trailer marketplace. Truck and Light Commercial Trader. Now with private listings, gold and silver packages available. Register and create your ad by going to www.nztrucking.co.nz. Just click on the Truck and Trader icon. Keep on moving, episode nine, the business section, and we're with our resident or regular um, business, uh, uh, I don't know if advisor is the right word, but, you know, Relance Watson from Vasey Child in uh, Hamilton. She's here, gives us our better business in five tip every month, and, yeah, just gives us a great tip on business and, and things that things to get you thinking, really, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yep. yeah, as you're thinking about your business, the areas you might go, oh, I haven't really paid much content, attention to that in the last few months. I'll, I'll have a look at that. So what are we talking about today, Relance? It's about rise, the rising price crisis we're all in. Yeah, yeah. So you sort of um, actually brought it up to me last month when we had a, uh, had a chat and sort of true to the Bada meinhof phenomenon, I then got proceeded to be asked by every single client I met with after that, and <laughs> what do I do? Uh, so it was a lot, and every single person was asking me. So super relevant topic. I'm sure uh, it's going to it's going to 
pique everyone's interest because uh, it is no secret that prices have been rising. You don't need to be an economist to figure that out. Oh, it's happening everywhere. Everyone's business. Our yeah. business. Every business I know. Yeah. Exactly. Um, preface to this discussion, I am no economist. Um, probably the one thing I didn't do very well at at university, but um, I that's guess... A, you know, that's all right, because I did a uni, uh, economics paper years ago at university, and the first thing the lecturer said on the first day was, economics is about aiming at a moving target in a fog with an inaccurate gun. I think that's pretty accurate, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess the question that we sort of want to bring up today is, like, what do we as business owners do about rising prices? Uh, like every question that you ask an accountant, the answer is pretty much always it depends. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. hear me out, hear me out on this. I've got two businesses myself, and so one of them's a transmission mechanics and one of them's a boat building business. Right. Two very, very different models. Basically, in the mechanics business, if I change the prices of, my, of that business today, I will have an impact today. On the boats, I build about two and a half boats a year at the moment, and I could sell you a boat today that I don't make for two years' time. Yeah. Massive, massive yeah. difference. Can I have a quote, please? <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that later. Um, but what, what it brings up is that everyone's model is so different, but it's also the strategy's different. So even in that situation, my mechanics business is quite mature, when rising prices, I know the model, I know well, that lever gets pulled, I change my prices, and my biggest aim is getting more money, making more profit. Yes. And because my boat building business is really new, it's actually way different, and I need to look at it differently because I'm actually more about brand awareness at that point of view as opposed to profit. Right. So That's my strategies also have a really big impact on the decisions I make when something like this happens. Uh, you know, for truckies out there, I would imagine people, if they're going to lock in contracts, they're going to want to bring in some sort of fluctuation on oil prices. Yeah. I hope everyone is doing that. Um, but I guess knowing that, and that's one part of your model that you should know, we're really affected by oil prices. Mm. And I'm sure I'm saying this in the sense that everybody knows that. Um, so what is the same for all three of those situations is that we should know our model. We should always know it. It shouldn't just be, oh, prices are rising. What do I do? You should, if you do the work with your advisor, your accountant, anyone, of knowing that model, you're going to get a huge, huge amount of return on that at any time. So when you say that, are you saying that when you say you know your model, you know, like, what, what, um, where in the life cycle of the business, that's where the, the priorities are. That's the strategy piece. So right. you've got your model, and the model means when I pull this lever, this happens. Right, okay. And you always know it. So it's like exactly what I said before about oil prices. If the oil price lever is pulled, this is what happens to my profit. But you've got to bring that in with everything. Yes. And so when you know that model, you can then apply it to what your strategy is in the business and then make decisions at any time. You could be proactive about it. You could be really reactive, you know. This happens. Boom, I change because I know it. I understand it. Yeah. I know what's going on. And because that doesn't necessarily mean that just because the prices are rising, you should raise yours. It could be that you actually... When you know your model, you can say, okay, the prices have raised. Everybody else in the industry right now is raising their prices. What should I do? I could keep mine the same. 
that means I could actually increase leads generated and then I could increase customer retention and I could make more revenue like that. So it is a massive generalisation to talk about the rising prices of stuff and go, oh, you know, just raise your prices and, and who cares? It's about knowing your model and knowing your strategy and applying the two in any given circumstance and re- reviewing it regularly. Right. It's also like you're going to have a lot of opportunistic behaviour in this situation. You could be one of those companies that are actually lucky in this instance. Everybody's prices are rising, but your suppliers aren't. Right. You could yeah. actually do something about that. Yes. You could actually still raise your prices or everybody else does and you don't and get more revenue and you could actually get more from that. So just because it isn't directly happening to you right now, you should still know it so you can use that opportunity to make, to reach the goals that you want to make. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So business is a game of chess, isn't it, really? It really is. Um, And I think it's a really, really cool topic. It was quite hard to think about in that general sense, to talk about it because it is so dependent on every single person. And even if you've got the same business, but if you've got different strategies, it's a whole different outlook on what you're going to do. So my biggest advice here, I suppose, is actually do the work. Know your model. Know your strategy. Do it so you can react really, really quickly. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's really interesting because anyone listening would think, oh, this whole, the whole podcast, all the guests coming into the podcast and the chats in the podcast is all like pre, you know, like uh, all of the subject matter is like pre, predetermined. But I, I can tell you hand on how it's not. Because, but it's really funny that you're talking about this aspect because there's been a couple of chats and with previous interviewees in this podcast about the great uh, risk in what you're talking about, or the great, the great uh, yeah, risk, I suppose, is the best word, is previous interviewees, we've talked about immaturity in business and people that don't know, and transport's just absolutely plagued with it, people who don't actually know what it costs to run their business, spread themselves too thin, operate, you know, like, it's a very easy business to get into, and it's like, we've chatted before, I think, at times is, you know, like just because you're an expert truck driver doesn't make you a good business person. No. You know, and when we ever we come and see Paul at Vasey Child here about our business, he's always making sure that our effort in the business is not reflecting an artificial level of input that is unsustainable because, you know, we're just working, spreading ourselves too thin or, you know, in order to affect what you're talking about really well, you have to know... Um, the, the realistic costs of running your business to start with. Because otherwise, a price shock like this will bring you unstuck overnight. Exactly. And we also talk about um, two things from that. One, we talk about the three freedoms. And the three freedoms are around financial freedom, time freedom, but also peace of mind. So it's that, oh, all my prices got raised today and I don't sleep tonight because yeah. of it. Yeah. But if you've got your understanding of your model and you've got your understanding of your strategy – you can have a plan in place before it even happens to you so you don't lose sleep overnight. Yes. You're also gaining your financial freedom. You're also okay with your time freedom. Um, and then, yeah, you can you can apply it really quickly, but it's gaining the understanding. You don't need to know it for every single business. You just need to know it for yours. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. So isn't it really fascinating when you talk about this and you talk about other subjects that we've talked about? Uh, and then subjects that the interviewees talk about, about you know, because people who don't know what it costs to run a truck and a trucking business and don't understand tax and don't understand, 
You know, like in the first year, you seem to have, you know, a lot of money, and then all of a sudden, three years later, when when the chickens come home to roost, you know, if yeah. you, if you don't understand business, um, but the the damage they do to the industry while they're going through their very short life cycle, because most businesses don't survive beyond five years, most startups, isn't it? That's generally the Correct. statistic, isn't it? For yeah. for all the reasons we've talked about, but the damage they do in that five years to just the general drag on 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 you know. Existing businesses is horrendous. Yeah, 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 and yeah. It's just I think it's just always about working smarter. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and applying it, learning that sort of stuff, and and not just sitting there and going to your accountant, you know, on an annual basis and hearing that this is how you did and this is how much tax you have to pay. You can actually get so much knowledge and so much applied that you can weather through those storms. Yeah, better business in five, seven, ten, twelve minutes, whatever it took. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, oh look, every it's subjects and every time they we raise sort of pretty much any aspect of the of the of the subject, it's 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 yeah, it's great to talk about and you can talk about it for ages. Thanks so much for coming along on podcast episode nine and looking forward to what we're going to talk about podcast episode ten. Awesome, thank you. This is the Keep On Moving podcast. Still to come, our feature interview. With Murray Francis from Murray Francis Road Metals. Our next port of call is to get an update from Rebecca Dinmore at the New Zealand Trucking Association on the TMC Trucking Industry Show coming to us in 5th and 26th of November 2022. It's going to be the big trucking weekend of the nation. Everyone needs to be there. There's going to be so much on. It, there's a there's just a plethora of things going on, and so last month we talked generally about the association, how it's going, the the t- the national truck driving uh, championships 2022, uh, the truck and trailer driver of the year, the the uh, all sorts of crane competitions. There's all sorts going on. Yeah. The Showa UDC Show and Shine, the Pelfinger Cranes. You know, uh, so we're going to home in this month on specific events from here on in, and get an update on how they are going. And um, this month, it's going to be the uh, TR Group Truck Driving uh, Championships 2022. But before we go there, before we go there, you've got an announcement with regard to forklifts, I understand. Forklifts, yeah, that's correct. We um, have just signed off on the new New Zealand Forklift Championships, which will be held alongside the show. New Zealand Forklift Industry Association are going to sponsor and run that. So very because... pleased to have them partnering with us and, yeah. Should that, be an exciting event. Yeah, and that absolutely because I mean forklifts and trucks go together like like marmite and toast, don't they? Well, that's right. It's a yeah. whole industry event, so we're showcasing every part of the industry, and this is a big part of it. Yeah, is that going to yeah. be really cool things like you know balancing egg, egg cups on pallets or stacking empty yeah, pallets? Yeah, we and... haven't figured out all the details, but it'll be it'll be a fun spectacle to watch. Um, a bit of an obstacle course, balancing, loading, all sorts of challenges. Um, just really showcasing the skill and the talent that these um, guys and girls have. Oh, it's so much harder than you think. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> these, these guys have a great amount, amount, great amount of skill, so, yeah, yeah, in awe of them. On to the TR Group NZ Truck Driving Championships 2022. What have you got to tell us, Rebecca? Oh, gosh, yeah, this is a massive industry competition, so it's been a long wait since the last driving competition. I think it was back in uh, 2018, perhaps. So, yeah, a number of years since we've done this, and we're thrilled that TR Group are um, running it alongside the show. So we've just announced um, with them that the Auckland Heats is going to be running on October 15th, uh, which is very exciting. So more details will be released soon, but um, it just gives, you know, North Islanders a chance to compete up there 
if they get through to the finals, they'll they'll get a trip down to Christchurch to compete on the Saturday. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, yeah and what the, great, um, great supporters of the industry, Tiago. I mean, they are you know they're well, a huge part of the industry, but you know they still they come back and just keep giving to it as well. And, um, yeah, it's going to take up a massive area of the show. We've got three competition areas, so it's uh, broken down into the Hydrolink Truck and Trailer competition, the Spartan Finance Tractor Semi, yep. and the E-Road Class 2. So three yep. big competition areas that will be um, running at the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, the great thing about not having had one since 2018 is everyone's had three years to practice, four years to practice. <laughs> Imagine how good they'll be. Yeah. And we've got a lot of new skill, uh, new talent that's come through since then as well. So it's a great chance for the young ones to show their stuff. And and the ones who did win from 2018 are invited to come back and uh, compete and sort of try and um, keep their titles. And, and look, seriously, if you're out there listening, you know, I hope you do. I hope. I hope if you you did compete in 2018 that you do come back and you do enter again in 2022. And the reason I say that is what a great opportunity for the up-and-coming to mix with the, oh, for want of a better term, you know, like the, I don't, you know, the... the, the the, the the Navy the SEALs of you know the <laughs> yeah the Navy SEALs of truck drivers you know the guys that, the guys that can do it you know blindfolded backwards you know and to interact and to network with the young fellas and swap ideas and give a bit of advice because the old will teach the new and the new will teach the old and she'll be great absolutely and it's going to be a great social event as well um, all the competitors will get some kind of recognition award um, and we've got some fantastic prizes up for grabs for the winners so. Each winner of the three different competitions will get two and a half grand cash, um, a trip for two to the Brisbane Truck Show next year, and a big prize pack as well. So some really great prizes to compete for. How that is worth that is worth competing for. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Fantastic. <laughs> hey, that's a fantastic update. And so next month you're going to pick another competition or another aspect of the show, and you're going to and you're going to highlight that. And yep. yep, and we'll touch on, you know, we'll have a bit of a review and then an in-depth look at something. But huge prize packs there. Like if that doesn't tempt you to to uh, to get involved in, you know, a two and a half grand a trip to the Brizzy Truck Show and a big prize pack. I mean, who who doesn't want that? So who yep. like if you want to if I want to enter it, I want to enter the TR Group NZ Truck Driving Championships 2022. Who who how where do I get in contact? Yep. So best to go onto the website, the truckingindustryshow.co.nz website. Yep. Uh, there's a special tab for the competition and you can just register your details there and then you'll get emailed um, further details as well. So it's free to enter, no charge. And we really hope that um, companies will also sponsor and encourage their drivers to um, to compete and hopefully come and watch them on the day as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. If you're out there listening and you've got a company and you've got a young gun in there maybe or a, or an old hand that's always stood in the shadows and watched and you want to celebrate their skills in the industry, then have a talk and and, uh, and put them forward. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Rebecca, thanks so much. Fantastic. Uh, thanks for giving us the time and we'll talk next month about something else exciting at the show. Want to catch the latest truck videos and posts from New Zealand Trucking Magazine? Then hit the like button on the New Zealand Trucking Magazine Facebook page and subscribe to the New Zealand Trucking Magazine YouTube channel. Okay, keep on moving, podcast episode nine. We've now got a, a really interesting interview and uh, one that I've been quite uh, keen to keen to do. Um, it's with uh, Gavin Halley. He is the general manager of uh, sales parts and basically everything post the sale of the capital good, Gavin, is that right? Like you're, you're sort of in charge of 
what, what happens after the sale and support and services and all that sort of stuff? Everything to do with the after-sale side of the business, so crane service, mechanical service for, for trucks and uh, all of parts. Yeah, so. okay, cool. And there's never obviously been a more interesting time in history what's going on in the wider world of supply chain to be the man in charge of after-sales for things. Yeah, we've certainly got some challenges logistically um, and um, with resources as well. You know, yep. uh, closed borders for a long time now and and uh, I think uh, every business is in the same boat uh, when it comes to the lack of resource and, and getting people on board to do the job. So. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. But the one good thing that TRT's got, and uh, look, we're being brutally honest here, is longevity in the industry and reputation. It's been uh, TRT Transport and Engineering for 55 years years uh, this year. And so just tell us a little bit about uh, the history, about uh, TRT and, um, and the company there. And uh, Yeah, well, I guess um, our DNA is engineering mm. and, and innovation, and uh, we started in, in a little engineering shop uh, in Pataru. That's right, yep. yeah. In the 60s, and uh, it's been, a, it's been a, a rapidly sort of growing business since then. Uh, but the core of that has always been uh, taking risks, um, looking at opportunities, um, and and seeing how we can take something and make it better. So that that philosophy is certainly um, still entrenched in the business, um, and as we are doing today with our, our latest innovative products that we build and manufacture. So you've recently had a change in focus uh, for your role. Tell us about this change and why it's important for TRT. Uh, yeah, so I've moved out of, uh, I, I guess, we've restructured the business. There's been a, f- a few things going on. We've been, I guess, uh, through the challenges of 2020, and uh, we had to put on hold a few projects that we had in the wind, and we've been able to, back end of 21, have the confidence to be able to strive ahead with those. And so we've rebranded the business, um, and we've restructured the business. And that structure is all about setting the platform for the future. So developing specific general manager roles in Australia, uh, in New Zealand for capital equipment, and then my role as general manager of after sales or or part all parts and service. And of course you've been with the company for a good long length of time, like you're speaking from someone that's that's been here for a while. Started with the company 25 years ago and uh, took a, when I relocated to Hamilton, took a temporary position which happened to be at TRT while I was, I was pursuing another career opportunity and then um, yeah, 25 years later I'm still here and I think when I joined the company we had uh, less than 50 odd staff yep. and uh, we're sitting here today in a, in a reasonably strong position as one of, one of the larger employers in the Waikato. So what's on the staff now? How many on the staff now? Uh, Rough guess. I've good, put you on the spot. Have I put you on the spot? On the spot today, <laughs> I would say 220 staff. Holy moly. And, and that's spread across uh, the majority of the staff are in Hamilton, where all of our manufacturing is. Yes. Uh, and then we have Brisbane, yep. which uh, obviously looks after um, Crane and uh, uh, deploying our, our manufactured goods into the Australian market. We have our, our Auckland parts branch and our Christchurch parts branch. TRT represents a number of OEM brands, if you read on the big sign out the front in the gate, but you also manufacture too. Do you want to talk to these two subjects a little more, though, who you represent and what you manufacture yourself? We're in the crane sector, so heavy crane, mobile crane, and we're in the heavy trailer sector as far as our manufacturing goes. 
So I th- I'm pretty sure we're the last um, OE road-going vehicle manufacturer in New Zealand, and that's uh, with our pick-and-carry cranes, mm-hmm. which, which has been a, a long process of research and development and costly, <laughs> painful, um, but we've got good forward orders now for that, uh, for that product. And it's been an exciting thing to be part of. And I think uh, going back to our DNA with the business, I think everyone takes a bit of pride in the fact that when they see a a PC-28 rolling down the road that we all form part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's an amazing thing to start with a whole pile of raw material ended up something that will propel itself and lift stuff and look really cool. Yeah, I mean, look, we're vertically integrated, so it's raw product and it's finished product out so everything's pretty much done uh, on our site cutting pressing steel paint welding pressing you know it's all all under our our site here so cranes are one of the things that we manufacture we also import and um, sell heavy crane so grove manitoba cabelco yep. and the likes and we have all the service facets mobile guys on the road to back that up and with that um, we have our heavy trailer manufacturing that particular sector has a very strong forward order book based on innovation and it's an amazing part of the um, property at Tirapa to go and visit the heavy the heavy float trailer and transport trailer manufacturing division it's an incredible thing to watch the guys put them together yeah, we're about to undergo a, a, another phase of um, streamlining that process yep. um, with alignment, but um, that'll, all, that'll all pan out over the next 12 months. But it's all about, you know, we can't increase our footprint. We've got to in- increase our efficiency. And um, uh, But, look, like I say, the orders are very strong for that, especially with our ESS technology. That's yes. been a... a Sort of, it's a ground-breaking steering performance in multi-line platform and house removal trailers and all of the heavy haulage equipment that we manufacture. Yeah, you know, yeah. That, that technology can be applied to it, and um, you know the market has received it well. Yeah, that's right. We did the Prestige story, and when um, on the house trailer, and it just boggles the mind when you see. It's almost like it's a living thing. It's that flexible. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's um, you. You sort of take a second look when you see some of the some of the videos on on YouTube and yeah. the likes, and when, certainly when you see it, um, you know, in real time, you wonder how it gets around those um, tight pivot, you know, yeah. turn circles and everything else. But it works, and um, you know, the market's rewarding us for that. When we did that story, you know, the guys said they're so much easier on the house, like the house. Totally. Yeah. The house suffers a lot less. It wouldn't. Nothing at all, really. They, you know, they said the houses just arrive in the same condition because they're not bearing any of the, the trailers moving under them like a snake, and they're just sitting there. Correct. Yeah. So uh, here's a here's a good subject for 2022. You're known for a range of uh, remand uh, parts, especially transmissions. Uh, tell us a little bit more about this and why it is such an important uh, option uh, for industry that you have available. And I'm so, I'm sure this is an easy one to answer at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah, containers aren't fast arriving, that's for sure. The um, the well, I guess we've always had we've always dabbled with remanufacturing, and that's just slowly grown over the years. Just in areas where we've had a particular skill set or um, expertise. So one of those is. Not all transmissions, but particularly around Eaton is mm. one of our strengths, so that common American mm. um, drivetrain, Eaton and Rockwell. So we have remanufactured um, transmissions on the shelf ready to go, um, and we move um, considerable amounts of them. And I guess we, we place the same warranty on those as uh, factory reman transmissions. Every single rebuild that we do, 
100% of the components are, are crack tested and inspected, and we only use genuine components in those rebuilds. There's right. nothing aftermarket in anything that we do. Um, and so that's our transmission program, and that, that's quite successful. Um, our high stock holding across Auckland, Christchurch, and Hamilton means that we can get it to most locations quite quickly. And on the back of that, um, we have our, our remand steer axles, so trailer steer axles um, of just about all common brands. Uh, we have those on, on shelf ready to go as well, and we just rebuild those um, you know, um, service exchange on a service exchange basis. And... And that's proved to be very successful too, as steer axles have, you know, become more common in New Zealand over the last sort of ten to fifteen years. So. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and as as the roads have deteriorated as well, it's getting a lot harder on equipment out there on on a daily basis. So I suppose that's a good segue actually into, um, in some ways, uh, challenges in the market. What ch- what challenges sort of do you envisage? Pretty much with what we do with everything else, we try and innovate um, solutions, mm. and no different from. We had critical courier situations recently and we were running vehicles all over the country, whether it was um, some of our uh, sales reps' vehicles and meeting other locations and trying to put other solutions around for the customer because the yeah, – so – the main challenges are obviously inventory, and we've doubled down on that. We've taken some fairly large forward risks yep. and tried to get as much as we can um, because we don't know when the next lot's going to come. That's not perfect. That supply chain and the back-end solutions being able to deliver alternative ways to get that to the customer quicker if we need to. And we've always got you know vehicles at airports and and uh, you know just because you see two TRT. Uh, sign written vehicles at the Rangariri pub doesn't mean that uh, we always go there for a drink. It's halfway between. That's <laughs> half, halfway between Auckland and Hamilton. Absolutely, so we're always swapping over. You know, there or thereabouts. So yeah, yeah and uh, you know, we've got a high, we've got a um, a large amount. We've got quite an active sales rep program, and and we're prepared to drive the miles where we need to 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 get the customer out of trouble. So yeah, obviously, an incredibly well established brand in New Zealand. Um, an incredibly well-respected uh, brand in New Zealand, but you've also got a good presence uh, over the ditch in, in Brisbane and Aussie. What's, any, what's the plans for Aussie? How, how's Aussie going, and how do Australians react to a New Zealand style of customer service? Yeah, Australia was our, our toe in the water of you know, global domination, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but look, the Australian market's been very um, kind to us over the last... Uh, Twenty odd years that um, since Bruce and Mary took their children over there and decided to establish a, a presence, mm-hmm. and um, so the core of our business in Australia is predominantly in the heavy crane, mm-hmm. uh, Manitowoc Grove, Cabalco, and yep. looking after that um, uh, uh, Greater Queensland area. We also have a presence in the islands, and um, we have a, a quite a, a reasonable sized service facility. So. Uh, we do a lot of 10-year rebuilds in Australia. They legislate around cranes having to have 10-year rebuilds or almost a recertification, yes. practically a recertification on everything. And that's a, that's a big part of our business over there. But we we also have our Traction Air product that goes fairly well in Australia. And, um, you know, I've spent plenty of time over there building that up and partnering with the likes of Scania Australia and and others um, to get some, some penetration in that market with you know, those types of products. Um, and we also dabble in defence. In fact, defence has become a, a reasonable part of our business. 
Well, you'd be the go-to man for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had a little bit of experience there, but that was that was a long time ago. Uh, so we're a, we're a, a tier one provider to Rymatel, who looks after most of the contracts down the scenes of the of the world, and we've had some. You know, reasonably hefty manufacturing programs um, for Australian defence and New Zealand defence, and you know we have other other projects in play at the moment, which will be which are really interesting. They certainly challenge our um, R and D and and design office, mm-hmm. um, but uh, generally, when you get those contracts, they're long term and. And, and good for the business. Um, so I suppose expansion-wise, you're in the South Island and Christchurch and that, and uh, generally speaking, I suppose you just said it, global domination. Um, there's been some interesting uh, videos go out lately that have been seen in other parts of the world with uh, with trailers doing their thing. So where, like, where does the company see expansion? Where, where's the push? Like, uh, Yeah, we are trying to still grow our presence in New Zealand. Uh, it's the core of our business, and um, yeah, I, 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 let's just say we've got our eyes open there. Um, certainly, the South Island's been a good initiative for us, and uh, we got, you know, we grew the business quite rapidly. wasn't the wasn't the uh, intent when we first um, dipped a toe in the water there, but opportunities came along, and and partnering up with some some people that we know in Brydone Road there. You know, we've got 15 part staff operating out of that building and significant warehousing too, which is a, you know, a, a strong sort of foothold to be able to, to reach other parts of the South Island as well. Yes. Well, that's been an interesting uh, chat, Gavin. The sign in the front of the foyer says when you walk in the door saying shit yes since 1967 and in interesting times in history comes massive opportunity and, and a great story of a Kiwi company that's that's taken every possible opportunity to take every possible opportunity. Thanks very much for coming on Keep On Moving episode 9 and telling us a little bit about TRT and where you're at. Well, thank you, Dave. All right, boys, time to talk about the magazine for May. Big red Mac on the cover with one hell of a story to go along with it. Dave and uh, Dave and Cole write up that one. Well, that's a that's a not to be missed uh, cover story. I don't know. It's really hard because like every single one you do, every person you meet is just fantastic. And then you meet Matt Sherlock at Hallenbach Haulage in Palmerston North, and just he is just. What do you reckon, Captain K? He was just oh. incredible, wasn't he? And well, he was in the cut and thrust of that. Yeah. Golden era, maverick era yeah. of um of the of the two rangy of the two rangy Wairaki swaps driving yeah. big trucks hard yeah. and it was a really sort of it was an iconic era in New Zealand road transport. But the great story and the, the stories of old were great. There's no question about that. Look, hung on them because we were all young at the time and we used to love watching them and going to the shows and seeing the the overnight the overnight freight and swap mm. trucks. But the great story is is how someone of that era can transition into 2022 mm. and run a modern, compliant, yeah. fantastic uh, operation uh, with great pride in his business and, mm. and acknowledge the past and say that was then and we had a ball and that's how we learned and that's what we did and this is now mm. and we're creating memories for today and this is how we do it today and neither one of them is either better or worse than the other. They just are what they were and it was just like what a – yeah, what yeah. a – it was – it was one of those ones you were very sad to drive away from. Oh, look, it was one of those evenings that just went way too fast. And, uh, yeah, I mean, with the uh, podcast interviews, that's one we're going back to for sure to sit down with uh, with Matt and them and uh, get, the, you know, get that completely recorded because there's some amazing, amazing memories there and just um, some history that, uh, yeah, it just, yeah, yeah, just sends shivers. It was as you say, we're hanging on every word that came out of his mouth that night. It was just, um, yeah, the story. The story wrote itself, really, didn't it? It did. The story wrote itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And thank you, 
Thank you, Stu Wind at MTD for putting us on to Matt. What a great, what a yeah. great bit of inspiration that was because yeah, awesome. his is a life of Max right through, yep. right through to today. Yep. All right, uh, Gav, any more? Yeah, well, uh, terrain on that parade. Um, we've got a, a nice feature on the uh, Sea Electric uh, Hino that um, Elsco has been running from its Rotorua depot for the past two and a bit years. Um, that's it's an interesting one because it's very much a, a guinea pig for EV truck technology and the application of it within New Zealand. Um, and the guys, the guys from C Electric and um, and Elsco, both know that they knew that going into the project and mm. um, that, and they're very upfront about it that it that it's been it's had its challenges getting to to where it is today. And um, but w- what really counts with it is is that they're they're advancing the technology. Um, because of because of that awareness, um, and it was just yeah a very very interesting sort of story and 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 a kind of different trucking story, but definitely something we'll probably be seeing more of in the future. I reckon ten out of ten hats off bouquets for for both for both C and Elsco for you know trucking's notorious for pop your you know if you're a tall poppy pop your head up or poke your head up above the parapet and. And you know it won't be long before it's knocked off your shoulders, and that you know for diving in boots and all, saying right, out, let's yep. have a go at this, let's figure yeah. it out, you know. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and they're totally open about that, which yep. is great as well. They're not trying to hide any of the any of the um, uh, the shortcomings um, yep. that they've experienced. Um, yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it was a great yarn, great yarn, yeah. one, Gap. Thank you. Um, yeah, then if you're a fan of the K200 Kenworth, there's a double hit this month for you. Um, a, a nice uh, stock unit top truck from the Otago hinterland and a Purple custom logger from Wellington um, with, I think, one of the coolest truck names in the business at the moment, yeah. Dirty Rascal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and hey, we've got we've been uh, we've uh, coming up in the future at some stage. We, I've I've talked to Craig McCauley about this a lot. And we're gonna there's an article coming up on on great truck names, just generally, maybe in Australia and New Zealand. But they're Dirty Rascal. What a great name. Yeah. Yeah, this is it. that has to be done because boy, there's been some good ones over the years. Leave without mentioning my darling little fuso, eh? Your your little honey in the vines. Little honey in the vines. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry, oh, boys. I know. He, <laughs> he, he eloped, mate. No, no, we got a call from Mike Long at SI Lodex some months ago and said there's a really neat little truck being put together in Marlborough for uh, for uh, in uh, Centreland and and. And Blenheim, and he said it's well be well with the story. It's a real cool little truck, and it really is. It's a neat little. It's a little truck that's been built by big truck people, and it's it was such a neat little story. So yeah, I didn't want the uh, I didn't want the highlights to go without the little fuse making a, making an appearance. It's probably a, a good time to say, look, if if you know of a special truck somewhere that's hidden somewhere that you'd like to share, all you have to do is get hold of the boys. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, David NZ Trucking Magazine or Gavin or anyone, if you see someone from New Zealand Trucking Media, just hunt them down because we'd love to hear about, well, maybe it's something you own. Uh, we'd love to share it and uh, certainly put it in the magazine, eh? Absolutely. Sell your truck with Truck and Light Commercial Trader from $39 per month. Your industry-based used truck and trailer marketplace. Truck and Light Commercial Trader. Now with private listings. Gold and silver packages available. Register and create your ad by going to www.nztrucking.co.nz. Just click on the truck and trader icon. Okay, welcome to Keep On Moving Podcast, Episode 9. We've got a wonderful feature interview this month, and I've come under a bit of grief uh, for when's the first South Island feature interview going to be. So I've rode my dinghy across the Cook Strait with my little tape recorder. 
And I found myself in the office of uh, Mary Francis, um, Managing Director of Road Metals, one of our, probably you'd have to say, one of New Zealand's probably most famous trucking companies, uh, businesses, uh, a South, probably a true South Island icon. There'd be no one that would, would disagree with that. And I suppose as a boy in the North Island growing up, a long way away in the 70s as a young fellow, I knew nothing of this company called North Otago Road Metals, as it was called way back then, until I walked into the stationery bookshop in a small town called Nartia on the Haraki Plains. And there on the wall for $3 was a picture of one of the most magnificent Macs I'd ever seen. And because I was a Thames boy, Thames Freight Lines was a big Mac uh, stronghold, and so <clears throat> I used to uh, be quite excited at the side of the Mac truck, and I saw this R-model Mac bottom-dump truck, brown and creamy coloured taken, looked like by the sea or somewhere and, I, and I, I looked I looked close and I twisted mum's arm until she was just about ready to disown me and she parted with three valuable dollars which in, my, in those days was quite a bit and I took this picture home that hung on the wall uh, until pretty much I left home really as an adult and it was a, I found out as time went on and I grew up and that this uh, Mac was uh, I think it was driven by the time by Peter McDowell, was that right? Yeah, Peter, 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 Peter McDowell. McDowell, and it was uh, North Otago Road Metals was the company, and they, they were a match strong old, and, and um, of course as you grow up and you start travelling with your cameras and you come to the South Island for the first time and you can hardly wait to see your first uh, road metals truck. And so it's a great privilege and, uh, and a great uh, thrill to sitting here with the managing director, son of the founder, um, Stan, Stan um, Francis, who bought his first truck uh, in Duntroon, having sold the rabbit skins that he trapped, and that's that's how it all got started. So, so welcome to the Keep On Moving podcast, Murray Francis. Thank you, Dave. Hey, um, I don't think we'd be the most famous company uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but we are proud of what we've achieved. Uh, but certainly. Um, yeah, no, I probably couldn't claim fame to that. No, no, but, but in the, in definitely in the fraternity, it's one of those it's one of those colour schemes and liveries that straight away is uh, identifies New Zealand truck enthusiasm, machinery, immaculate presentation, and, and a great story. Actually, and, people people asked me. They said, uh, "Jesus, how many gallons of brown paint did your father get? Are you still running the brownie?" <laughs> but I I do quite like the brown. It used to be sort of a brown and creamy colour. Um, and what's happened over the years, we've uh, gone white, white, rather than, yeah. I think we were um, um, glacier white and I think oyster white, and anyway, now we're white, white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's amazing when you talk to colour people how many shades of white there are. For me, for me, there's white. It's unbelievable how many, and I, I remember uh, when I was getting one of our trucks painted, the guy, the guy explained how many whites there were, and I said to him, well, I want white. And he, I said, he said, well, what's white? I said, well, what about main freight? He said, oh, that's white, white. I said, that's what I want, white, white. <laughs> so so that's how that came about. Hey, Daddy Tool, it was quite amazing. Um, what happened, that was our second lot of Macs. We bought our first lot of Macs on, in 1974 for the Twizel Project. They were bottom dumpers. Um, so that was the, uh, we bought four Macs for Twizel. That Mac that you're talking about with Daddy Cool, I'll come back to that in a minute, but certainly the first Macs that we bought were the 235 horsepower. Um, I'd never seen a truck like it. I remember um, the torque in those trucks were amazing. I think at the time I was driving an ERF, and, but the torque, the torque in the Mac was just amazing. But anyway, come back to that. You might wonder why we had bottom dumps. 
Have, yeah. you, have, have you wondered that reason? I remember that looking at it and thinking how cool that looked. Because it looked so <laughs> balanced and it looked so, it was so proportionally right. Well, the reason we had bottom dumps was um, there used to be sales tax on trucks. And again, so I, th- and I can't remember what the figure was. Was it 20%? Was it 25%? I can't remember. But you may recall back in the early 70s, uh, a lot of lime spreaders, mainly lime spreaders, the sales tax was off the truck. Yeah. But you had to have them for, for it was either two years or three years. I think it was three years before you were allowed to do anything else. Anyway, they then decided that bottom dumps would be eligible for the to reduce the sales tax. Oh, okay. Yeah, so what happened, um, we bought those four Macs. They all had bottom dumps. They actually had chains from the bottom dump down onto the turntable. In other words, they weren't allowed to come off. The other thing is we weren't even allowed to, because we travelled, well, Twizer was just one, it was easy. In later years, when we started travelling around the place, even the drum of oil in the back of the bottom dump would have been illegal. And oh, yeah, So on the sales tax thing, it had only allowed to cut sand or gravel. If we had anything else in there, we would have been in trouble. Yeah. So that's how the bottom dump started off, and uh, they did a marvellous job. We carted 850,000 tonne of filter sand on the Twizel project, and we started off carting to Tekapo, then we did Pukaki, and then Ohau. So we had different sites where we dropped the filter sand off. It went underneath the canal. But anyway, here's the deal. What we would do, we would cart for about six months solid um, to a site with the bottom dumps. They had D8s, D9s pushing it up. And they used to say, why can't you have tip trucks? <laughs> <laughs> because we'd spread it out thin, and then the poor old does are operating a, D, a D, D8 or a D9 is then got to... Push, push it up into a big ramp. We would have probably 50,000, 60,000 tonne in a stockpile, and you know, the D8, D9s are, are pushing it up. And then one night, um, a couple of 992s would turn up with about 50 of those dump trucks, and we'd arrive there the next day and it's gone. I mean, man, they could shift some stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, so that's the reason we had the bottom dumps. Oh, cool. And anyway, come back to Daddy Cool, what happened... Um, when the trucks got to three years old, we could sell them. So 74, they must, we traded the um, Peter McDowell's truck, um, we traded that in on two of the R686s, which was the 285 horsepower. Yeah, yeah. So we, we, we traded two, two of the older Macs, and that's when we, that 1977 was daddy cool, and it had a sister to it. Um, Billy Sargent drove that one. It was called, I think, Running Beer. But anyway, um, come back to daddy cool, with Daddy Cool, um, um, what was I going to say here? Um, yeah, so it was the Peter McDowell got it. It was the same bottom dump that he originally had in 1974. So this is now 1977. He asked Stan if he could have the time to to do it up and paint all the lines on it. What you don't know, well, you may do if you saw the if you now that I'm telling you, all the wheel studs they were all painted up about three different colours. He, he put pinstriping on everything. It was the bottom dump. I mean, really, it's just there to cut, to cut sand and gravel. Jesus, the whole thing. It had GT racing stripes on it. Um, it, had, it was absolutely laid out. That post that you're talking about was actually the first truck poster ever. Yeah. Uh, it was the first one ever that I'd ever seen. There was no such thing as truck posters. So, and I think actually the second one might have been John Bishop's one. It was a transporter with a, with a dozer on the yeah, back. Yeah, I remember that one. You yeah. remember that one? Yeah, yeah. Well, but Daddy Cool was first. And I remember going into Farmers, and there's some hankies there. There's a picture of Daddy Cool. I mean, no one asked us for permission. Yeah. Mind you, I was stoked to even see it. So yeah, it, yeah, it didn't yeah. really matter. 
But um, yeah, there was hankies and uh, stuff like that. So, so what was the, how the, because that was one of my next questions, was like back then, we're talking 77, yep. so how did the process to, to predict, print a commercial size piece of... Uh, what happened, there was a photographer uh, in Omaru, um, I'm trying to think of his name, uh, Kevin Keppel, Kevin Keppel was his name, uh, he took the photograph, and I think him and Peter organised, and he said, what a great looking truck, I'd like to get a photograph of it. So that photograph, and it was taken by the sea, it was actually taken down by Kakanui. Right. It was the Kakanui or Meraki. It was taken down that way anyway. Um, yeah, so it was all sort of set up. And then he must have sold, I don't know how he did it, whether he sold the photograph or what happened. Well, he didn't have anything to do with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting because Pete drove that truck and then he did it all up, spent, spent hundreds of hours on it, getting it looking like that. And then I actually got the accolade because basically he only stayed for six months and then he, he went away um, on a farm. But because Pete had been with us for a long time, we actually left the truck on the farm. And when Pete had time, Pete would jump in Daddy Cool and do some loads into Omaru and bits and pieces, or if we needed Pete, then he would do it. But bearing oh, in mind, he had a farm to run. Yeah. What happened, I was driving a G8 Volvo, eight-wheeler Volvo, but I was running the trucks at the time. And anyway... I was running a lot of the contract jobs we're doing, mostly on the West Coast, Haast, Fox Glacier. We had a job at Cascade Creek to gravel from Cascade Creek down to the Hollyford, a very, very narrow road. It was all gravel road. This is the road between Tiana and Milford. Mm-hmm. And my father said to me that he wanted me to run the job because there was three bottom dumps going down there and could I take the N10 Volvo. We had an N10 Volvo uh, bottom dump. And I was very upset about going off my truck. I was on a tip truck, you know, truck and trailer. I didn't want to go off the truck, but my father insisted. I went down to run the job. I said, well, if you want me to go and run that, I'm taking Peter McDowell's Mac. It's sitting it's sitting in the paddock, <laughs> yes. and I'm not driving the N10 Volvo. I didn't like it. It was one of those ones with the automatic transmission. I, yeah. I didn't like it. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, my father agreed, phoned up Pete. I think he was probably in tears. So I went and picked up Daddy Cool, <laughs> and I took it down to Cascade Creek. We, we stayed at Cascade Creek. Yeah. Um, what happened, that poster had, was starting to circulate. And when I was driving, it was a very, very narrow road. So when you're turning around, I mean, we're, we gravelled the road. Christ, it was probably it wasn't about 20 kilometres of road that we gravelled. And the bottom dumps were perfect for yeah, us, yeah. of course. So anyway, I remember one time, but it was typical, I'm turning around on the road. I had to do about a three-point turn. I mean, it's a bloody virtually one-lane road, and I'm trying to turn Daddy Cool around. And next thing, this car pulled up, and the guy gets out, and he's taking photographs of it. And... Um, he said, oh, you know, I said, no, I got, once I got turned around, I talked to the guy. He's from the North Island. Actually, funny if he was listening to it. Anyway, I said to him, oh, I said, um, you're taking a photograph. He said, oh, my son has got the poster in his room. And he said he's, he spotted the truck. He said, this is the highlight of his trip, yeah. seeing Daddy cool. And I said, well, we're obviously going in the same direction. Does your son want to hop in? And I'll take him, and you can pick him up when oh, you want to legend. pick him up. You're absolutely legend. And he goes, oh, wow, would he ever. So what happened? He got his son out of the car, but actually, then he, unbeknown to me, he told his wife that she could drive the car, and he hopped it as well. <laughs> so <laughs> so here's, here's the dad and the son yeah. and daddy cool. And as he said, he said, look, it's my son's highlight, but probably mine as well. Yeah. And uh, I dropped him off at the gravel pit down by Cascade Creek where we were getting the gravel. And uh, waved, waved him off, gave him a toot on the ear horns, and he was he was absolutely stoked. Yeah, it's funny, you know, because again, 
Um, a lot of people that had the post with Daddy Cool, if, if they came up to me, I'd say, look, if, if you want to, you can come for a ride with me. Yeah. And I used to take a lot of people for, for rides in the truck, as I did in other trucks as well. What does disturb me now, and I'm probably jumping the gun here, it's probably a question you're going to ask me, how we attract people. A lot of companies don't allow passengers. We do. And, and not only do we allow passengers, I probably encourage children that, you know, as long as they're restrained in the truck um, and, and don't get out and kept under control... I encourage it because that's our next that's our next generation of drivers. That's where we're going to get them from. Yeah. People wonder why we can't get drivers. Well, the problem is we put barbed wire around our quarries. We don't let children in. And again, then we wonder why we can't get drivers. Nobody wonder we can't get drivers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I encourage it. Next year, on that thing, we had an open day at our Rolleston quarry. And I was expecting probably 200 people. We had our trucks all lined up, the loaders lined up, um, dozer sitting there. And we had little mini diggers for the kids to play on. We had uh, little jeeps for them to play on. It was was well received, but I expected 200 people. We had over 1,000 people turned up. Mm. But actually, the funny thing, it wasn't just the children playing out, sitting in the trucks and the loaders. The dads were in there as well, which Mm. was quite good to see. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, and and we see that all the time. Like, you know, like, like you say, the compliance, we've let the compliance override us. But when we have an opening, like, you know, what springs to example, like the Mitre 10 ride in a truck day in the Hawke's Bay, they turn up in their thousands, yes. thousands and thousands. Yep. But, yeah, so the, the, the love is still there. They just can't get to them anymore, you know? Well, again, as a kid, I can remember, I mean, it was my father's business, so I was sort of in the business, but, I mean, geez, as soon as school finished, I was straight down to the main road where the trucks were carting. I was putting my hand out and into the trucks, and, you know, I, I, I rode around the trucks all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely right. So let's wind the clock back. Yep. And uh, so, so what? Do you, do you know why Stan decided that catching rabbits was bollocks and having a truck was far better? <laughs> <laughs> well, as a kid, uh, Christ, I heard all the stories how Stan used to, to milk the cows before he went to school. Ooh. But um, anyway, I didn't take too much notice of that. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, he just said how 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 lucky we were, type thing. And um, he he came through hard. I think it was. 10 or 12 children in his family. Yeah. Anyway, um, come back to that, he, he started trapping rabbits, and a lot of rabbits around the North Otago, and they used to be, most of them got taken down to Alexandra, Thomas Borthwick or a name like that. So then what happened, he was too young to have a heavy traffic, so he bought, I think it was a one and a half tonner truck, and he would start carting other people's rabbits down to Alexandra, to, oh. to the factory. And when he turned 18, he bought a bigger truck. And so basically then he stopped trapping them and he just started carting the rabbits. Um, so that's how his business so started. So we're talking early 30s We'd be talking, what would we be talking? No, no can't be early 30s. He was born in, uh, he was born in 28, so, um, and he was 16, 17, so I don't know. I can't do the maths yeah, without yeah, the calculation. Yeah, yourself, yeah. But, um, yeah, so what are we talking? We're talking the 40s, mid-40s. The, the mid yeah, yeah, yeah. Just after the war. Anyway... Um, so he started, cutting, he started cutting the rabbits. That's how he started. Then he, he um, started up a transport in Dun... He was from Duntroon, yeah. just out of Omaroon. Yeah. So then he started off Duntroon Transport. Yeah. Um, bought a couple of trucks. I think they were probably um, S. Bedfords, maybe. Oh, I think they were a couple of Ford, Ford Thorntons or something. Uh, no, no, they're S. Bedfords, when I think about it. And then he started off... And then he sold Duntroon Transport and started off Tokaraki Transport, which is also just out of Omaroon. Yeah. And the colour scheme of that was sort of a tan and a brown. So it wasn't, oh, yeah. it wasn't enough white, it was actually a tan and a brown. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so he started off Tokoraki, and 
just general cartage, basically. Then he got a contract um, with, a, with a screening plant for gravel, and he decided that this was a lot better, just put the hoist up and took the load off and away you go. So he decided that was probably a better bet. So in 1955, he sold Tokoreki Transport and started North Otago Road Metal. Right. So that's when he got into gravel. So suddenly all the general cartage is gone. There's no stock. I mean, my father was doing stock. He did everything. Yeah. So basically then he decided to concentrate on gravel. Yeah. And that's when the advent of North Otago Road Metal. Excellent. And just, like, tendered contracts for the councils or private or both or...? Uh, mainly for probably councils and Ministry of Works and the government. They were government jobs. Uh, one of the big jobs he did, I think, was down at Henley, the front free at Henley. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. But they're all six-yarders, for God's sake. Yes. I mean, they're, they're little six-yarders. I mean, goodness me. Um, so it was mainly gravel. He had one crushing plant, but mainly it was mainly trucking and, and the, the trucking of gravel. Yeah. But we did have a crushing plant, so we also did the delivery. But the front free, that was all just straight out pit run. Yeah, yeah, and I can remember as a kid riding out on the trucks, the loader would just um, because they weren't the pivot steer, the loaders would just go and get a bucket full, go back. The truck would the truck would pull underneath it, one bucket full, yeah. and the truck would would pull forward. The loader would go back in again, get another bucket full, come back, yeah, uh, and and one bucket full and then gone. Um, yeah, I, I can remember as a kid riding around down the Needham. Um, hey, interesting enough, North Otago Road Metal. Most of our work was out of town. I know when I started driving trucks for North Otago Road Metal, uh, we only worked about two, three weeks a year in Omaru. It yeah. was all out of town stuff. Yeah. 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 So where did you first say, give me a go with this driving lark? Oh, Christ, I was pretty young then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was pretty young then. I mean, again, just in gravel pits and stuff yeah. like that, yeah. I suppose. Um, I remember Ben Moore, uh, the dance. I mean, Christ, I was pretty young down there. So I think... I'd, Q Dodge and a tennis trader did a bit of work around the pit, you know, stop piling and that. Yep. So he drove trucks there. I drove them out on the road over on the west coast because there wasn't a lot of traffic cops around. Yeah. Um, didn't not out not out on the east coast at all. When I started with the company, I was only seven. I was seventeen. I drove a front end loader for a while. I was too young to to or too young to get a heavy traffic. Yeah. I'd have to say, my wife would probably object to this, but uh, I'd have to say the best day of my life ever was when I was turned 18. And the day I turned 18, we had the traffic cop come around home and I went for it in a, a Dodge, a Q Dodge Arctic. So I got my truck and trailer in one hit. Man, it was fantastic. Like yeah, paid the money. I was so excited. Yeah. <laughs> I've been waiting all those years yeah. to get it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, no, I can relate to that 110%. <laughs> yeah. So um, obviously, so carried on. Like your dad was obviously quite an astute man because he obviously the business grew and service as custom as well and started the old adage of a, a great company to do business with as was what you've said in, in previous interviews yeah well a great company to do business with that's an interesting one what happened um, remember we went through the days of health and safety and mission statements and all the all the PC stuff what happened I came up with a mission statement I actually got the staff to help me with them and we had four four bullet points and I put them up around the wall and I'd say to people, What's our mission statement? No one could tell me. And the mission statement's actually, in all fairness, I've forgotten myself, but one thing I can remember, I actually got the staff to help me. We had a, a bit of a storm-braining session, and I basically encouraged them. I mean, that's... Um, anyway, we came up with three bullet points, and I could look up and see what they were, but it doesn't really matter. My point is, the fourth one, I'm going to... Well, there's something else that you're missing, boys. What's the most important thing? And they all scratched their heads. They said, oh, I think we've covered it on those three points. I go, no, you've missed out the most important one. 
And I said to have fun in the workplace. Yeah. I said, you've got to have fun. I said, hey, you're doing it now. We're all having fun. I said, shouldn't that be on our mission statement? Yeah. And they go, oh, hey, good idea. So anyway, we did that. But anyway, so here we had all the flash stuff and mission statements and health and safety statements. And, and I'd say to people, what's our mission statement? No one could tell me. Well, they could remember it having fun, which is good. That was an easy one to remember. But anyway, one day I was thinking, it's too hard. And then I was just thinking, it's a company you'll enjoy doing business with. So our mission statement, now it's not the four bullet points. Our mission statement is road medals, a company you'll enjoy doing business with. Now what that covers is customers and it covers our staff. Yes, it does. A company you'll enjoy doing business with. So I say to the staff, come work for us, you'll have a great time. Yeah. Yep. And that's, I'm, I'm really taken with that comment actually because obviously like, we've just sat down and talked for the first time this morning but the guy... Uh, the guy that, uh, there was no like, pre-chat sort of on this sort of subject, but I've, the guy I worked for for 27 years, Dave Malanafi, up at Thames Freight Lines, like, oh, he, he, he always said, if you're not having fun, leave. Oh, I say life's too short. Yeah. Life what, is far too short. To be doing a job that you don't like, I yeah. feel sorry for people. Yeah. If you don't like it, get out. I remember him saying once, the fence is not here to keep you in. If, if you're not enjoying <laughs> it, it's to keep other buggers out. Oh, if, you, if you're not enjoying it... If you're not enjoying it, dead bloody right. Yeah. I mean, I... You know what? I actually think I was very, very lucky and very fortunate. I worked with one of the best teams. We worked on the West Coast. You know what? We, I've got to say, the era when I worked with North Otago Ravenel actually out on the field, like driving trucks, yep. uh, building roads, that was the best time I've ever enjoyed. I had the best team to work with. And you know what? There'd be six, seven of us. We would, we would work together. We would live together, so we're in the same bloody motel units. Hey, we could motor camp a lot of times. Yeah. But so we play, we worked together, we lived together, and we played together. What people couldn't believe, we'd be on the West Coast. We only used to come home once a month. So we'd come home uh, once a month. We'd come home on the Friday, and uh, then the guys would say, what are you going to do? We'd go, oh, let's go to Dunedin for the weekend. or let's go to the pub. We all we drank together as well. So even when we were at home, we still stuck together. Yeah. We yeah. were we were a team. Yeah, but the thing is, like, part of that team. Like when you, like, you, do you use the word lucky there, or but you you created that? We created it, yeah. and we had a lot of fun. And do you know what? Um, our quarry manager in Christchurch, Lindsay Forbes, him and I were reminiscing the other day. We must be getting near the end, but we were, <laughs> we were reminiscing. And you know what? We both said. There's nothing we would change. Yeah. Do you know what? At Twizel, 1974, we started at Twizel. We've still got four staff, including myself, that worked at Twizel. Now, how many years ago is that? 74. Yeah. Um, Jesus, I'm not a mathematician, but anyway, it's it's a long time ago. We've yeah. still got four of our staff that worked at Twizel. Incredible. Four of them. Incredible. Now, a lot of, our, a lot of our managers actually came from trucks, came from working crushing plants. We don't have... I don't think any of our managers have got a university scholarship. We're just... We've all worked our way from the ground up, so we understand it. Yeah. I'm probably lucky. I've been the managing director now for over 30 years. But again, hey, I can still mix it with most of them. Yeah. Um, I can still, um, I'm front and loader, truck and trailer, no problem whatsoever. Yeah. 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 So just um, just a quick thought, harking, like, going back to the beginning, the Daddy Cool poster. Yep. The, did, the, did the impact of that photo have a... Did that have an lasting impact on the business? Because one thing that you actually see when you walk into a road, like in this office here at the road metals office I'm in now, there's huge pictures everywhere. <laughs> like huge pictures have become part of the thing. Like there's a whole wall. That's, uh, that's, uh, that, like that must have been quite a, Do you think that poster had an impact for 
thing on the company? Like, did everyone go, wow, look at that? It definitely had an impact. And what it was, we probably had two of our truck drivers at Twys who were really, really fussy. Peter, right. Peter McDowell being one of them, of yep. course. Super, super fussy. But what that does, it spins off on other people. Yes. And, and, and again, with myself, I mean, every night, every night we did half an hour maintenance, every night, um, uh, after we'd finished work. Yeah. And that included running the rag around the truck as well, yep. keeping it clean. Um, actually, the bars were brown and white, and I hate to admit it, but if I was ever in a hurry, I'd just run around and do the brown and leave the white because it always looked clean. So, oh, yeah, 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 interesting. Uh, yeah. So just, I just do the brown. Yeah. If I was in a hurry. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I generally was. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, so obviously now we come to, is it a case of, is there a little bit of the right place at the right time because the massive hydro projects get underway in the South Island and you just happen to be there with tip trucks and diggers? Um, we won the contract at Twitel. It was tendered. It was yep. a Ministry Works contract. And actually, there's another other interesting thing. In those days, when you got a contract, you... you in the contract, you asked how much money you wanted from the government, and they took it off. So what happened? We ended up with a lot of new gear. We ended up with four brand new Max, uh, three brand new Volvos. Uh, we had a, a Cat 980. We had a Michigan 175 um, uh, scraper. We bought a scraper to feed the plant, but it was all on um, plant advance. I think it was called plant advance in those days. So you got the plant advance. And then that money over the contract, we'll say it was a two-year contract, so every for 24 months you actually pay that loan off interest-free. So that's really was the making of Rogue Metal. We got all the really nice gear about us. So the government almost had a vendor finance sort of a thing where they you you interest-free loans on the plant to do Correct. Job. It was to help people in there. So basically we, we, um, we upgrade all the gear. Although in saying that, Dave, in saying that, remember I just mentioned before we had all the six yarders and yeah, yeah. Henley. Well, we had all six yarders, and it was 1966. So my father was quite forward-thinking. In 1966, we bought a Foden. Um, we bought a Foden, and it was an eight-wheeler Foden, eight-wheeler Foden with a noddy trailer, tandem noddy trailer. Yeah, yeah. So in those days, we're talking yards. So that we had six yarders. This Foden was 21 yards, 21. One driver. I mean, in all fairness, it was quite impressive. I think it had a garden motor, um, which self-destructed after a while. But anyway. I think we were carding from memory. We were carding, because I used to go for rides, and I mean, it was pretty impressive, this photo. My yeah. father decided we had no one capable of driving a truck that, that big. I mean, that's a bit of a joke now yeah, when you yeah, think yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So here's this 21-yarder. My father said we haven't got anyone cap- capable of driving it. So he actually he employed a person from Australia who was driving a road train. Get away. Yeah, a guy called Dave Beatty. Um, I think he's actually... It might be in New Zealand, he's living down the knees now, but he, he actually came and drove that truck. Oh, and I remember riding with him, and we're going up the Adamatata Saddle. For anyone that doesn't know, it's, it's a relatively steep road. I think the Dodgers and Thames traders were probably down to about second gear, hauling up there with six yards. Yeah. Here's the phone and me in the passenger seat, pulling out and passing them with 21 yards on, awesome. and they only had six yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was just, it was an amazing truck. And actually, Dave Beatty certainly got the most out of it. Yeah, yeah. But the funny thing was, I mean, that was an eight-wheeler um, with a noddy trailer, so 21-yarder. In 1968, then we bought um, two Lanon octopuses, right. um, which I was lucky enough to end up with one of them uh, down the track. But 
the lane locked across the sea. So I suppose my father was still forward thinking. We actually upgraded the gear at Twizel, but we actually did have some quite nice gear before we went to Twizel. Right. Okay. Albeit not as many of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. So how did the Mac thing come about? Where was the first encounter that made you buy the 234? Uh, 1974. What happened? Um, I think Bill Richardson got the first R series in mm-hmm. the South Island, and we got number number two, number three, and number four uh, in the South Island. So they were just tractor units again with the bottom dump, so just wee short-ass things. Yeah. Um, um, I remember when we got them, my father was so excited. Bearing in mind we got the sales tax off them, and I think from memory were they $60,000 and we got them for forty or something like that. After three years when we sold them, we sold them for the same money we paid for them. Yeah. Because, because you, you, no sales tax, of course. But um, again, when... Just trying to think here. Um, my mind's going 100 mile an hour here, Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate. <laughs> Mine is, so you can know what yours is doing. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, they were made. Sorry, I know what I was leading up to. With the Mack trucks, um, I remember one one Mack truck was equivalent to three, was it four Dodgers? Wow. And okay, I know what it was. We had four Mack trucks, we could have bought 12 Dodgers. Yeah. yeah, 12, and that's the... So uh, they were cheap, really. That's the KW yeah. Dodge, yeah. Um, which we did have one. Um, and a lot of people said, why didn't you have 12 Dodges? And I think I even may, may have made that comment to my father, although we were pretty impressed with the Max. What happened, um, at the end of that contract, after three years, those Max had never let us down. Yeah. Never let us down. The availability was, was 100%. The only thing that let us down was tyres. Uh, we didn't have steel belted radials in those days, yeah, so yeah. so we just had rag tyres. And you imagine the summer carting from Twice up to Tekapo, oh. you couldn't even put your hand on the tyres. So what would happen? The stones would go straight through them. Yeah, um, we were averaging probably two punches a day. I mean, it was just when you pulled in, you had to kick the tyres. You know, oh shit! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tire. Yeah. So the Macs were actually incredibly cost effective when you look at the ratio between them to the 12 Dodgers. Incredibly cost effective, and bearing in mind when we bought them, we bought at the same price for the tractor units that we yeah. paid for them. So did, had, Ron been on a, had Ron been on a sales drive for them? Like, did he come down and was he doing a lap of honour and saying, you need to have one of these? Or? Well, Ron Carpenter, the other thing is, what was amazing, when we bought the Mac trucks, uh, this was really what sold us on Mac. Hey, Volvo were good too. Actually, yeah. fairness, you've got to understand the Volvo drivers love their trucks. I'm coming to the Volvo. <laughs> You're coming yeah, to yeah, the yeah, Volvo. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the Mac guys love their Macs. Um, anyway, getting back to the getting back to the uh, to the Macs. Actually, I'll tell you a funny story. I say you've got to understand. I was driving an ERF at the time, and then I went on to an eight wheeler Volvo uh, G88. But anyway, I remember someone wanted to swap. With, I know. I think I said to one of the Mac drivers at the time. This was back in '74. I said, oh, I said, uh, I'll swap you for a load. And I'd never driven a Mac before. I hated the bonnet. I liked the Ford Control. Yeah. And I didn't really, I wasn't that impressed with the bonnet. But anyway, I thought, oh, let's have a go at it. So anyway, I'm roaring along. I'm probably doing 100k. And I came to the little bridge. There was a little one-way bridge at Twizel heading up towards Tekapo. And basically, in the ERF, I just thundered over there at 100 Well, I shouldn't say thundered over 100k because it was against the speed limit. But anyway. Yeah. Um, at a robust speed. Yeah, at a robust speed. Yes, that's, yeah. that's better. That's better. Anyway, I'm in the Mac. And next time I'm slowing up and thinking, Jesus, where the hell is this bloody bonnet? I hate the bloody thing. And I'm slowing up. <laughs> I can tell you, I eventually come to a complete stop. Yeah. in first gear and I crawled across the bridge because I had no idea where I was. I had to really look out the mirror and I'm hanging out the cab. I thought, geez, I wouldn't want to drive one of these at Cascade Creek. I mean, because you've got to understand, I spent six months gravelling the road down to Hollyford and that. I thought, oh, imagine having a bloody bonnet in front of you, especially a Mac. 
And I said to everyone, these Macs are they're pretty impressive with power, but I said, I hate to be on a narrow road. Well, the funny thing is, basically, five years later, I'm in Daddy Cool <laughs> on the same narrow road. <laughs> Doing a U-turn. And actually, I won a trucking contest in Daddy Cool, which is quite amazing, because I had a bonnet, and it was a test where you had to do blindside reversing and in and out, bloody obstacles type thing. And guess what? I got a bonnet. You would think the Ford Control was going to be the winner. I was the winner with the bonnet. Yes, yeah, yes. So once you've driven a Mac with the bonnet, you do get used to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably still prefer Ford Control myself personally. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Oh, interesting. So, um, right up. So let's go because the South Island was a huge uh, store uh, for G, G88 Volvos and the Volvo product, wasn't it? Like it was a real, Southland was a real, was a real. Uh, Hot spot for them. So, what's the Volvo story? Because they were separated then. Yeah, they were separated. Actually, it's quite funny. Uh, we ran Volvo and Mac, and I've got an interesting story on that one because we had probably fifty percent Volvo, fifty percent Mac. We got rid of the two ERFs, then we're down to just Mac and Volvo. Anyway, um, the Volvos were very comfortable. I drove, I drove an eight wheeler Volvo. Yes, um, and I've got to say, I spent a lot of did a lot of K's on it. Very, very comfortable. I remember when I drove the ERF, even the Leyland Octopus, uh, bloody noisy. So when you've got a radio on, mm. you've got, virtually got the volume right up. <laughs> yeah. in, in the Volvo, it was too quiet. And actually, here's an interesting story. I got offered, when I was on the Leyland Octopus, I got offered the GD8 Volvo to drive. And it was only in six-wheeler in those days. Mm-hmm. And I actually felt I was going backwards because I liked my eight-wheeler. Um, and, and I said to my father, no, I don't want to drive that. Anyway, he insisted that I drove for a couple of weeks probably hoping I was going to stay on it. But I said to him, it's like a car to drive. It's quiet. And in those days, I was young. You've got to understand, man. I mean, how old was I? Uh, 19, 20. And I said to my father, how would you like to drive your car back and forward, back and forward, back and forward all day? <laughs> I liked a bit of noise. Yeah. And the ERF actually had a bit of... Yeah. Uh, sorry, I was laying octopus at the time. So I turned down the Volvo, uh, but I did drive for two weeks, um, yeah. but I didn't like it. But then what happened, we... Our, our mechanics and I were... We built the deck before it arrived. Yeah. So what happened? When, he, when the Volvo arrived, had a lot of overhang. We don't. If you look at a gravel truck, and certainly the road metal ones, there's no overhang. I mean, it's, it's the deck's right at the back. So we shifted the back axle in the Volvo back to line up with the back of the deck. Then what happened? We kept getting well. We, it was good for a while, probably three or four months, and then we started getting weighed up by the trip by the transport department. And um, what happened then? It kept getting overweight. We're overweight in the front axle all the time. Yeah. And then it got to this ridiculous stage where we were just loading over the back end of it and the cop would be waiting with a big grin on his face and we're still getting another overloading ticket. Yeah, yeah, there was yeah. virtually nothing on the truck. So it got to the ridiculous stage and it was either one, push the uh, back bogies forward again, yeah. which is no good for a tip truck anyway, yeah. and then my father decided it needed to have a second axle on it. So we took it to JM Davies in Dunedin and we put the second steer on it. It was actually an international axle if everyone had their way. Oh, yeah. Yes, on the JD8. And then I decided, well, that's not a bad truck, and now with the eight-wheeler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was a good-looking truck. And actually, at that stage, I was getting sick of the noise. So I did eventually end up on it. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine who I went to school with, he drove it, he got it brand new after after I did my two weeks on it, a yeah. guy called Graham Allen. He drove it, and then he got one of the, he got the fourth Mac. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then I decided that when he went off it, and um, it was up for grabs. Then I decided that I'll go off the RF and onto the GD8 Volvo. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Anyway, moving on. How did we? So who was peddling the Volvos then? How, how did they come to arrive in the yard? Um, what happened with well, that, that first one I was telling you about uh, that was getting overload tickets? Um, 
I drove for two weeks when it was brand new, and then uh, Graham Allen, a friend of mine, he went on it. Yeah. And I stayed on my lone octopus. Yeah. And then what happened, then I also turned down an ERF. Yeah. Because uh, I really liked the lone octopus. I loved the lone octopus, loved the driving position in it. And then what happened, I always used to get the best tallies. Um, but then what happened, the ERF that I turned down, it was passing me, and the lone octopus, and then the Volvo was passing me. Yeah. I didn't like being last either. Yeah. Yeah. So in the end, I took the uh, the third truck that was offered, which was an ERF. Yeah. Um, it was an eight wheeler. So the Volvos are quite a. Um, what would you say they're quite a? Uh, what's the word? Comfortable, exotic com- truck too. So well, who was distributing them? Very comfortable. Dale and King done a good sales job on them. Dale and King, yeah, but they 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 went a bit ratchet at the end. Anyway, getting back to the, you'll be interested in this story. So here we are with the Volvo, the fourth, fifth Volvo, fifth G eighty eight we bought was a sleeper cab Volvo. Oh, yeah. um, it was, again, same bottom dump uh, that it had been on behind the day cab one. Um, it only did 90,000 90, K. Dow often came with the agents for it, and it did the motor room, which, right. which uh, unbelievable to do the motor at 90 K, 90,000 K. Anyway, we went to Dow and King and said to them that it's, it's a warranty job. So they pulled the motor down, and there was an argument. They reckoned the motor had been late, which is a load of... Um, anyway, you wouldn't. This is an interesting story. Ron Carpenter, who was the Mac distributor, we had a Mac. I was working at Macarora at the time. Yeah. And we we're doing a road job down there. And one of the Macs was actually the very first one we ever bought, um, number fifteen. But anyway, it was down at Macarora, and it was blowing oil. The motor was getting buggered, but it had done eight hundred thousand kilometres. Eight hundred thousand. And anyway, the motor was getting all the oil was coming out the breather pipe. Yeah. And we were desperate for trucks. I couldn't couldn't take it off the road. I mean, we knew the motor was getting buggered, but I put some heater hose on it, about um, half inch heater hose. And I put it over the breather, and then I hung it was just just the uh, rubber hose or not, you know, yep. hose heater hose. I think it was heater hose I had. Yes. And then I put it over there, put it up behind the handle of the R series, and I tied it up to there. There was more smoke coming out that that <laughs> heater hose ah. on the breather, but at least it kept oil in the motor because yeah, we, yeah. we had to fill it up three times a day to yeah. keep it going. Just firing it out. Now, what happened? So, in the end, it limped home, but 800,000 case. Um, coming back to the Volvo story, I'm giving you two stories yeah, here, yeah. but they, they coincide. Yeah, here we are, my father is having a row with Dalhoff and King with the, um, with the JD8 that had done 90,000 K. What happened? Stan had already, my father had ordered two. F12 Volvos would have been the first F12s. They weren't even around. They were still selling GD8s. Yes. We like being the first, and we still do. Anyway, uh, we ordered the F, F12 Volvos. Here's my father having a row with Dalhoff and King. So he's having a row with Dalhoff and King um, about the... Ron, Ron Carpenter phoned up my father, and he said, Stan, I understand that the, your Mac hasn't done very well. And Stan said, oh, what do you mean, Ron? He said, I understand you've got to do your motor up. And my father said, this thing on Ron, he said, it's done 800,000 kilometres. He said, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with, with what we've achieved. And Ron Carpenter says, no, Stan, that's not good enough. He said, Max is supposed to be good for a million kilometres. He said, there's an engine kit being carried to you as we talk. He said, your mechanics can put it in, but the engine kit is free of charge. So what happened, it was probably a very cheap engine kit for Ron Carpenter, because you know what happened the same day? Yeah. My father cancelled the two F12 Volvos. And hence, that's when we got the two MC Max. We put an order in for two MC Max. Yeah. And uh, admittedly, we had to wait a little while for them. But what Ron did, 
he actually gave us, he had a couple of trays. One was a D1000. What a terrible truck that was. We called it a million-dollar truck. But he, uh, anyway, he gave us a, he gave us a couple of trays to, free of charge. Yeah. We had to make sure they were going. <laughs> Gave them back to the way. Yeah, but that's when the MC Max arrived. And I shudder to think how the F12s would have would have handled the pace. They wouldn't have handled it. I mean, the MC Max, we only, we've only just put one in the museum a while ago. I mean, for God's sake, they were... They were an amazing truck. Totally underrated, the MC Mac. Yeah. I, dro- I, dro- I got one of them brand new. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, uh, going back to Tim's freight lines again, was, we had MC Max. Yeah. Yeah. Were yours a 320 horsepower? Uh, we had uh, everything from 237s to 350s. In the- Did they have a 237? Yeah. yeah. X car always that one was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were, yeah. Ours were the 320. I know when I was driving, I loved the MC Mac. It was... Um, it's my, 48. Well, my favourite truck was still the Land Octopus, but you've got to understand... When I drove the MC Max, same driving position as yep. the Leon Octopus, same driving position. This got the still with the big windows in it. Yeah, good visibility. And I thought, oh, I'm back on the Octopus again. So yep. I mean, I was, but the power. I've never seen that. We used to have those noddy trailers, and what happened actually got the stage in the end. Where I kept breaking balls. You know, they they didn't. We didn't have ring feeders on them because they noddy trailers. You had to swing them around. Yeah, they just had a giant ball on them. It was sort of ten times the size of a car ball. Yeah, and put a wedge in. in but um, yeah, in the end, um, yeah, the, the MC just had too much power for them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting, eh? Hey? Yeah, very. Um, they feel really sporty, eh? Hey, when you're driving them, like they little everything, all the controls are right there beside you. It's oh, like, I, I love driving the MC, man. Yeah. yeah, it was just it was powerful. It was it yeah. was the right the right noise. It was. To me, it was a bloody good-looking truck. A lot yeah. of people thought they were ugly. I actually, I liked it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, that, that's cool. Okay. If you, if you come out to our museum, you'll actually see one of them all done up. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah, I have. I've seen oh, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Last time, when I was down there a couple of years ago, we had yeah. a great, but uh, not always keen there. Um, right, so you would say in the history of the company that the big central projects, the hydro projects, were really the kickstarters of, of, of a new dimension. Yes. Yes, you've got that right. Um, certainly... Twice will put us on the map. I don't think many people had ever heard of North Otago Road Metal uh, until then. And then after Twice, we went to the Clyde Dam. We did the Clyde Dam. Oh, we, yeah. we, we processed uh, 6 million tonnes of sand yes. yeah. Actually, between 85 and 87, North Otago Road Metal was the, um, according to the, the Department of Statistics, we were the largest single supplier of gravel in New Zealand yes, for, right. for, for two years running, 85 to 87. Yeah. That's pretty impressive stuff. Oh uh, well, we're working uh, twenty four hours. We uh, yeah, we pump the we pump it out for Zubins. Zubins got the contract for yep. the Clyde Dam. Yeah. So we supplied Zubins with sand and egg, and we also supplied Ministry of Works for their part. Right. Yeah. So big, how big? Like, what would the biggest crushes have been there? Well, that was we used the tailings at Clyde, uh, so it was basically a screen, uh, just a screening job. Okay. We yeah, didn't. Yeah. We didn't. Cr- oh. When I say we didn't crush it, actually we crushed the sand in the end because there was not enough fines in the tailings okay. after the gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we actually uh, we manufactured the sand in the end. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So just uh, ducking away from trucks at the moment, like in the, co- the company's history in terms of loaders and diggers and things, what, their preferred brands there? Or? Well, that's an interesting question as well, actually, Dave. Um, we talked about trucks with Volvo and Mac. Mm-hmm. So guess what? We... we Volvo and Mac were separated because now they're the same. So we're still running Volvo and Mac, albeit, and that story I told you when we cancelled the the, um, the F12 Volvos, we actually went 100% Mac at one stage. We went right off Volvo. Yeah. And then, so we were 100% Mac, all of our trucks were Macs, and then we had the Quantum arrived. 
Right. And I hate to say it, but actually it was a, a bit of a disaster, the truck. Yeah. The truck itself, the running gear was fine, but it was a 24 volt down to 12, and it was yeah. generally electrical problems we had. I mean, that was the first Mac that we ever had to tow home. Yeah. I mean, all the other Macs used to limp home. Yeah. I mean, they never, ever yeah. broke down the side of the road. We always got them home. That uh, that quantum actually let us down a few times. Um, so, again, what happened, when I when we wanted another eight-wheeler, I, was to, I thought to myself, I'm not having another quantum again. So we actually looked at the Volvo, and that's when the Volvo entered the road metal fleet again. Came back into the fleet. Yeah, because basically it was, it was a good option for an eight-wheeler. Yeah. A bloody good option. Yeah. And... Um, Actually, it was quite funny. Fonterra had a few. And I remember going into uh, Titan's office, Max Wiley. And um, Max was skiting. He just got an order for 40 Volvos, uh, eight-wheelers. He was so excited with Fonterra. I said, 40, Max? He said, yep. I said, make it 41. I want one as well. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I didn't get the same deal. I don't think I did. He said he couldn't do it. <laughs> Because he had to get special permission from Sweden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, the, the eight-wheeler we got was very successful. Yeah. And hence, then what started happening is we still continued with the Mac brand, but then we've got quite a few eight-wheelers, yeah. and the only option for the eight-wheeler now is the Volvo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're running Volvo and Mac. Now, so here's the deal. So on trucks, we run two brands, Volvo and Mac. Front-end loaders, we run two brands. I run Cat and we run Volvo. Yeah. Now, interesting enough, I have other people, other brands, and hey, reputable band, brands have come to me and said, would I, look at, would I look at one of their brands? And I go, don't want to be arrogant, but I have enough trouble deciding between Volvo and Cat, and I probably don't want to complicate it. Yeah. So I don't like a fruit seller fleet. I've never, yeah. had a, I've never had a fruit seller fleet, but here's the deal with road metals. We run Mac and Volvo trucks, on loaders, we run Cat and Volvo. Yeah. Our diggers is 50-50, Cat and Volvo. Our dump trucks, actually they're all Volvo, but they're, they're off-highway dumpers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And even Utes. Um, um, Utes, I run Toyota and I run Ford, Ford Ranger. Well, yeah. it was Ford Courier, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I run two brands of everything, and it's quite a good thing so I can keep comparing them. Yes. I can compare the models. Interesting with the loaders. I remember um, we had a great run out of Cat. I mean, the Cat 966Ds that we had at the Clyde Dam, they were a great loader, and we, we did massive hours on them. And then we got the Volvos. We had a great run out of the Volvos, but when, and then Cat went off the boil, so we had trouble with the Cat. And then, then when we started having trouble with the Volvo, Cat started to come right. So, again, it's quite good to have that balance. Yeah, um, yeah. It's not playing one off against the other because, again, I'm quite genuine um, with running both brands. Yeah. 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 No, it's interesting. Um, so the post the post the big jobs and the, when they started to wind down in, this, in, the, in the, the big hydro jobs, what, Clyde 93, the dam 93, 4 it opened? Was it uh, somewhere around there? No, I remember being down there earlier. earlier than that. Um, actually... Um, our last Mac that we bought went down 1988. Right. Actually, that's funny. That ended up, that ended up in the North Island. When we, sorry, so, so 1988, that was when we bought a, the last, actually it was one of the last of the R-Series. Right. Um, it was a, a, we got a long wheelbase, it was a track unit, but then when we'd finished Clyde, we actually put a tip deck on it. 
and we had, we had the wheelbase that we, we always knew that's what we we're going to do, yes. but we needed a turntable on it to start off with. Now that particular truck then, that came to Christchurch, that's about when the Clyde Dam finished, so I'm trying to think, that truck came to Christchurch in about 90, yeah, you're probably about right, probably 91, I think it came through to, oh, yeah, 1991, it might have been 90. Yeah. Yeah, it came to Christchurch. Actually, when we sold it, it went up the North Island, and I said to the guy, you've got to paint it out, I don't want it brown and white. He said, no, no, he's going to paint it red and white, you'll paint it red where the brown is. Yeah. I saw a photograph of it the other day. It's up in Dorpen somewhere, and it's still brown and white. <laughs> yeah, I know. Anyway, it's, know it's, it's a North Island yeah, stuff. Yeah, That's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, and so with the pro- company progress from there, after those mammoth projects were sort of, where did you start lining up after that? Um, well, what happened, My fa- our father, he, uh, Stan died in 92. How old was Stan when he died? 63. Oh, yeah. Massive heart attack. Um, yeah, so it was very, very sudden. Yeah. He was a bloody active person too, so I'm a little bit surprised. Um, and again, I was still just running projects at the time. I think I was running running a contract. So, yeah, it was held a shock to the staff. Everything else. Now, here's the deal. I went to Road Middles, North Otago Road Middle at the time, didn't really have a leader because when Stan died and our general manager, Alan McDowell, had just gone to Fulton Hogan. So we actually lost number one and number two in the space of eight weeks. And, oh, yeah. and so I think... It didn't give a lot of confidence to the staff, so what I did after my father died, um, and once I recovered, it took me, a, took me a week to recover, in all fairness, but then, very important, to see to me, the biggest asset we've got is the staff, so I lined all the Roadmental staff up, North Tucker Roadmental staff up, and I said, look, I'm going to go and run it, um, but I need your support, things are pretty tight, um, you give me your loyalty and your support, and I'll give you loyalty and support back, and that team that we had then in 92, I think most of them are still there. Yeah. yeah. So they gave, they gave it their all, yeah. and they got stuck into it, and um, yeah, it was, the business just went. But we, the projects, the, what happened, everyone thought the road mills would have, would have collapsed because basically we only did the, the hydro jobs. Yeah. We kept a few side ones going, but fair to say we concentrated on those hydro projects. So we scrambling for work to a certain degree. We came to Christchurch in 83. We bought a quarry at Yoldhurst in 1991. No, no, 1990 we bought a quarry. So a lot of the people from Clyde, we actually transferred up to Christchurch. They're all Omaru staff. Right, yeah. And we, or most of them were Omaru staff, and we transferred probably three-quarter of the staff at Clyde up to Christchurch. Right. Yeah, so yeah. and they knew how to handle aggregates. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were they were good. So yeah, I had a pretty good team to, to base on. We didn't have any big projects then. Um, I'm trying to think. The next biggest project we got was probably the Apua Dam for Hoods, Doug Hood. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember seeing it on TV, but all the gear upside when the dam burst, but all the gear upside down and everything else that was all our gear. Right. Yeah. 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 The challenges. And then, but the next biggest job that Robinals got. Uh, we, we did the second tail race tunnel at Manapuri. Yes. And that was a good job. We took all the gear in by barge. Because you were involved in the initial Manapuri tail race project. No, no, no. Uh, well, Mararoa. Mar- oh, Mararoa. Mararoa yeah. was. We built the weir. Yeah. Actually, I was only young then. How old was I then? 19. I was driving the Lane Octopus. And we put that and a couple of Dale McGregor trucks, no, one Dale McGregor truck and a loader, um, and one of Jack Anderson's dozer from Invercargill. And we went down on a barge down the, uh, the river uh, to Mararoa. We used to go work in the jet boat, and I was skiting to everyone. I was, I was skiting, and I said, guess what? 
I'm going to be working at Manapuri. Well, Manapuri was, was uh, but, um, the base, but anyway, I was skiting how I was going to go to work in a jet boat. I mean, the, <laughs> I thought it was uh, just the best thing that was ever going to happen. Yeah. Well, I forgot, it was the middle of winter, and it was the worst thing that ever happened. It was dark when we went to work. Yeah. The, the Minister X gave us big army coats to wear in the jet boat. It was a Minister X jet boat, incidentally. Yeah. And um, we'd go to work in the dark. And um, we put the wear across the matter. Once we got the wear across, then there was road access. Right. So then they took the jet boat off us. Right. <laughs> but we did have the jet boat. We drove ourselves to work. Yeah. 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 But we were all huddled underneath the dash. I mean, here's me skiting about going to work in the jet boat, but there was nothing bloody, there was nothing fresh on that. It was, it was pretty, survival. It was pretty bloody cold. I remember one time we, well, the river was low because I needed the wear up there. And what happened, I've got, the, I've got my head underneath the dash, you know, because it was bloody cold, 6 o'clock in the morning, snow everywhere. And next thing was a crunch of stones, and we'd bloody beached the boat up on a gravel bar. <laughs> so everyone jumped out of the boat, and, and they said, come on, Murray, get out of the boat. I said, I'm taking my jeans off. I'm taking my boots off. They go, just get in. Don't be a bloody wuss. I said, no, you'll be right. Anyway, so I took my, I took my jeans off and my, shoes, my boots off and my socks and climbed off and, and pushed the boat off the, off the gravel bar. But guess what? When we got to work, because the heaters didn't run that flash on those days, yeah, yeah. Um, even in my octopus, the heater wasn't that flash. I was nice and warm at work. Uh, guess what? The Del McGregor guys yeah. and the Jack Anderson guys, they were, free, they were wet all day. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they would have been blue. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that was actually quite Speaking of, uh, before we get to the Manapuri Tower Race 2 project, just uh, talking about wet and miserable, before we uh, started the press record of the interview, you were telling me about stripping the coal mine at nightcaps and how that miserable wet job that was. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I, um, I was I worked down there. We we got the North Otago Road, and I got the contract with the Nightcaps Mine, and it was only underground at that stage. So we got the contract to strip it for coal and energy. And that was the advent of Francis Mining. But anyway, um, I looked after the job for a while, and I said, my father came down. And I asked him how long I was going to be at Nightcaps for, and he said, I suggest you look at buying a house down here. I said, that'll be the day. <laughs> I cracked up when so, you said that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I wasn't going to live there, yeah, it was for real. So, so what machines did you have on the nightcaps job? Um, actually, again, Dalvin King, I think we bought uh, two IHIs, they were, I don't think they were around there, IHI digger, uh, they were 30 tonners, uh, and we bought Volvo dump trucks, um, they were a BM, something or other, they were very early Volvo dumpers. Yeah, yeah. so what year would that have been? <coughs> well, I'm going to try and think about that. Because you were saying you were quite still... You were still quite young at that stage still yourself? No, I was sort of starting to run a few jobs at that stage. Actually, I got the job of taking the dump trucks down. I was on the transporter, and I think at Gore, uh, the cop stopped me, the transport department in those days, and he wanted to weigh me up. I had a digger on the back, and the transporter was two rows of eight. And I said to him, how are you going to weigh up the middle ones? Because it's not a bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was putting me on the blocks. Yeah. And he said, oh, look, he said, it's, um, I'm, I'm happy enough with the side. So I go... But there's still weight in the middle ones. He said, oh, it won't be very much. I said, well, you're the boss. So, so I went up and he says, that's a very light dump truck, isn't it? I think he reckoned it was six tonne. <laughs> I just laughed. I said, I said, it's a bit heavier than that, but I said, it's definitely not overweight. Yeah. He just waved me on the way there. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Actually, talking about that, I can give you another funny example too with, with the transport department. We were working at Franz Joseph and I was driving the Jetty 8 Volvo, uh, eight-wheeler. Yeah. Anyway... Uh, you wouldn't think you're going to see a traffic cop over there, would you? But anyway, I'm loaded up to the gunnels, driving down to a crushing plant. We're coming from a rock quarry. I'm driving down to the crushing plant. And next thing, um, here's this black and white bloody car that, holy hell. 
Anyway, he stopped me and said, you seem to have a big load on, young fella. And I go, no, it's pretty light. And uh, he said, oh, well, let's find out. So he opened up the boot of his car and he had four blocks in there. Yeah. So that's all right. So uh, one, two, three. I must have had eight. Must have had eight, sorry, because uh, yeah. I'm, a, I'm in an eight-wheeler. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so eight, sorry. But that's all he had. So when he was when he put the blocks down, then he asked me to drive up onto the blocks. And I go, well, just hang on. I said, what about the trailer? He said, no, no, we won't worry about that. I said, but just hang on. It's, it was one of those trailers that wasn't, when I say it wasn't well balanced, it was built by Steelbro and it was rigid. So if you took it off the truck, it would, the drawbar would stay up in the air. Yes. Like it was a big solid drawbar. And I said, you can't do that. Because I said, otherwise, if you bring the truck up, I'm taking, I'm taking most of the weight of the trailer. So I said, that would be unfair. And he, him and I argued for a while. And I said, I'm not going to refuse to do it. So then he said, would you be happy if we just brought the front axle up on the trailer? And I'm thinking, Jesus, I can't believe that. That's a great idea. Because then we went away into the bush, this is what we did in those days, and we found a couple of old buddy logs of wood. So we put them down. When I pulled forward up onto the blocks with the GD8, the, the trailer, the front axle of the trailer was just about flat. It was taking the weight of the back of the truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because it just, it was, the truck was virtually lifted off. And I'm laughing away then. I thought, geez, I hope he doesn't spot how flat those tyres are. Yeah. And anyway, he, he obviously was a bit oblivious or maybe didn't want to go and find another block of wood. Anyway, we weighed it up. And when we did the, the trailer, the knotty trailer, which is two axle, of course, he just put the back of the truck up. Yeah. So again, you can see the truck was taking the weight of the trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he said, yeah, you're right. He said, this is a light load. It wasn't. Yeah. But he just hasn't had it weighed up properly. Yeah. So anyway, I just he gave me a wave and put, I gave him a hand to put the blocks back on the back of his truck. I said, <laughs> next time you need another couple of blocks of wood in your truck. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so that was quite a dig. So, uh, Manor Prairie Tower Race 2? The second Tower Race? Sorry? The second Tower Race at Manor Prairie? Yeah, that was a good job. Um, it was a challenging job because we were supposed to crush the... Um, when they took the spoil out of the... They had a tunnel boring machine. So when they took the, the spoil out, that was the stuff we were supposed to crush. But it took them a while to set up the TBN, the tunnel boring machine. So they put us into the old tailings uh, we crushed. And Jesus, there was dragline teeth, there was bloody Ooh. railway carriages, there was wheels, there was bloody everything in it. We did a lot of damage to our crushing plant uh, trying to put it through. Um, and I said to them, I hadn't allowed for that. I mean, it was just, I think in those days, I mean, if you had any teeth or there was old railway wagons, they just tossed it all into the spoil. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, so, yeah, we, we come and... Come a wee bit of the guts of it. Once we got into the tunnel spoil material, it was fine. We also gravelled the the um, the Wilmot Pass too. Oh, yeah. yeah, so yeah. that was an interesting job. So we took trucks in there and we gravelled the Wilmot Pass. Actually, there's a story about Mac. We had one of our CHs and we were gravelling in there. It didn't have the trail. It's quite a steep, quite a steep road. That actually, have you seen that one? Bryce did the the truck fire. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that's the yeah. same job we're talking yeah. about. Um, grades of about one and eight, I think. Anyway, the guts of it is we had our CH Mac there, and I think it only done gravel trucks don't do a lot of case. They're not like they're not like um, yeah. Um, yeah, you know your tankers and stuff. But anyway, I phoned up Murray Salvi, who was running Mac. And I said, Murray, I got a problem. He said, What's your problem? I said, This Mac. I said uh, it's only done five hundred fifty thousand kilometres. I said we've done the different. He said, how old is it? I said, forget, it. I said, forget about how old it is. I said, I'm telling you how many Ks it's done. <laughs> I mean, I was just joking with him. But anyway, guess what? He actually came to the party and paid some of the diff parts. Yeah. Not all of them. Yeah. 
I mean, in all fairness, I've got to say, Murray Salby, um, he's retired now, but he was a bloody good guy. Actually, on that video I'm talking about, and one thing that does annoy me a little bit, uh, it says there, when you see the Macs coming off the barge, and I think the voice says, Murray Francis, he likes the Mac gear, it just doesn't wear out. And I shudder every time I hear it. It does wear out. It wasn't quite what I said. What I said to them, the R series doesn't wear out. Yeah. What I said to what I said to the guy, that, but they misquoted me, which is pretty annoying. What I said to them at the time, the R series will the driver will break in half before the truck breaks in half. Yeah. We did a rock job at Fox Glacier, and there was no track. Um, we had to tow the trucks across the river. Um, it was bloody deep. As, a, as in probably a metre and a half, we towed them through, but we had no track, we were carting rock. And one of the Macs, it had three three drivers in the space of a couple of weeks. One of the guys virtually broke his back, <laughs> the driver. He had to be carted off Tomaru. Um, the next driver, he oh, got his hands caught up on the um, flying fox going to work. Yeah. And then we had to get a third driver and run it there for a month. But, um, yeah, the, the Macs, they just, they are series with bulletproof. Yeah, right. The CH, the, CH, the, CH, the, CH, the CH was quite a good truck, but it still wasn't on a par with the R-Series. Yeah. The R-Series just kept going. Yeah. They were bulletproof. They didn't have computers. They were a bulletproof truck. And so the truck fleet now is pretty much split between Volvo and Mac? I would say it's just about half and half, actually. Yeah. Um, I'd say it's probably half and half. Maybe slightly leaning towards Mac. Remember, we've got the Mac... Concrete, we've got the Mac um, uh, concrete trucks too. Yeah, yeah. So probably Mac might be ahead. Yeah. Hey, I always said, now here's an interesting thing. I always said that I wouldn't have a Japanese truck, but when we got ourselves into concrete, which is Kiwi Concrete, um, he knows quite a good truck. So what we did, we made a decision that all the six wheelers would be Hino's yeah. and the eight wheelers would be Mac's. We paid a bit extra, but again, that was the image I wanted to portray. Um, I've got to say, we had a few issues with the Macs, and the, the Hinos, they just kept going. And I always said, because I, I said I wouldn't have a Japanese truck, and, and what happened then? People said, but you've got a Japanese truck, you've got concrete trucks. I said, oh, that's different. I said, you won't see a brown and white one. I had such a good run out of the Hinos with the concrete trucks. If you look at uh, the fleet now, I've got, um, I've got three Hinos. I, I haven't got ring feeders on them. They're just straight-out metro trucks you know, for delivery. But they... Uh, bloody reliable. Ideal. Right, for us, they're reliable. Ideal. Yeah. Because, yeah, well, what happened also, and I'd see our tridents running around there without a trailer on, just delivering sort of three or four metres, I think. It's a waste. Yep. So I went away and got a couple of metro trucks, and yep. they are, he knows, and I'm very, very happy with them. Yeah. How did the, um, so how did the, leaking forward a few years, obviously you would have been fairly heavily involved after the earthquake and, and out and gravel and stuff around and... The earthquake actually put us, uh, actually in all fairness, prior to the earthquake, I don't think it was just us, we were actually, uh, I'm not saying we're in trouble, but we weren't far off it. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't a lot of work around. Um, the the outlook wasn't looking that flash, to be fair. And the earthquake, um, hey, it was very sad, the earthquake. Um, but I've got to say, it created a lot of work for us. The, the, just digressing for a second, like the physical, the earthquake itself on the pit out there, like was there... Is no, that, no damage to the pit, and actually, I think you'll find in Christchurch, any places, any houses that were built on top of gravel and that, I think there was very little damage. Right. It was probably the liquefaction. Um, I remember in the big quake, I ran out of the office. I thought actually, I was on a lift at the time. 
I ran outside and there was just a big wave went through. I saw buildings go up and then come down again. I mean, it was just a wave. Like, From in here? Yeah, yeah. I went down, see that down there? I just sat, I, I ran out there onto yeah. the green and there was just a wave went through. It was unbelievable. That would have yeah. been pretty scary stuff. That was bloody scary. It was, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Bloody sad with what happened. I lost, um, we lost a really good friend in the in the earthquake and I, when I found out that he was one of the missing ones, it was quite sad. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely had a percent with one of those days that shook the nation to its core. There's no question of well, two days that shook the nation to its core, really. Yeah, it wasn't ever. But as I say, um, you know, it's very, very sad, the whole thing, and I wouldn't wish on anyone, but um, it did. We were very, very busy then, and it's fair to say we probably doubled, if not tripled, our output from the quarry. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're a great company for celebrating milestones in a decade of birthdays. Always uh, turn up quite a... 50, 50, uh, 60, and we're not far off 7-0. We're getting very close to 7-0. We're 68 years, or 68 years. Um, getting, very, getting very close. We celebrated our 40 year. Um, we then celebrated our 50 year down on Maroon. It's our hometown. And we celebrated our 60 year in Maroon. And you'll see when you walked in, there's pictures of the, the gear all yep. lined up. Yep. We took quite a bit of our, quite a few of our trucks from Christchurch down to Omaru. And I think one from Clyde we bought out as well. Um, for the photographs, so that's it's quite an impressive photograph with, with the gear. We didn't take the concrete trucks from Christchurch down, but um, we we've got we've got Kiwi concrete number anyway, so we yeah. use those trucks. But yeah, you yeah, know, we celebrate. I think uh, sixty years was quite a milestone. Um, I've told everyone that I intend for road bills to get to hundred. Yes, I was just going to bridge yeah. that subject. Yeah, um, that's our goal. Yeah, and I'm very very sure we'll achieve it. Um, look, I'm getting near the. I say near the end. I'm not talking about anything bad, but I mean. I suppose I'm not going to see the 100 year. Let's, let's face it, it's yeah. going to be impossible. Uh, my son and, and young brother, Johnny, they should, they should see it the 100 year. Yeah. Um, so how old are you now? How old am I? I'm 68. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah so yeah. 69 shortly. So 68 at the moment. Yeah. I hate submitting it. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, that's the way it is. And you might ask me when I'm going to retire. No, nah, definitely not. <laughs> I never <laughs> ask that question because if you're enjoying what you're doing and having fun... Well, that's exactly my point. Um, I, I won't be retiring. Yeah. Um, the day I retire is the day that they screw the wing nuts on. <laughs> yeah, so that's when I'll be retiring. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, because, yeah, it comes back to that having, having fun. Hey, it's funny, you know, um, we, we've got a very, very stable workforce. We're very lucky, but now I am having trouble attracting staff. Um, I've never, ever had that problem before. I remember one time in Omaru, uh, admittedly it was uh, probably 15 years ago now, I was down in Omaru, and I'm at the pub down there having a drink, and anyway, this guy came up to me and goes, he said, I've been trying to get a job with road middles for the last three years. He said, has someone going to die to get a job there? Yeah. And I thought about it, actually, you're not far away. <laughs> you're not far away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you looked at our drivers in Omaru, I think the shortest one is about 10 years. I mean, yeah. it's, it's we keep... I was actually it might even be longer. If, if I looked at the drivers down on road, it's probably about the same team that were there fifteen years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We don't lose drivers. Christchurch, not, we've, what's happened? We've expanded. Yes. If I looked at our our core trucks, our core business, it's the same staff, right? Yeah. But we've expanded. So as I'm expanding, I'm having trouble. Now here's an example. We we had a trip. There was a truck show a few years ago here. Um, can't remember who sponsored or TMC Trailers, I think, from memory. But anyway, well, there's a few sponsors. But anyway, we had probably about ten of our trucks here. Might have even been more. 
We needed a driver for our Trident, and I said to the transport manager, we should put a sign on the window, I'm looking for a driver for me, <laughs> for, the, yeah. for the truck. Uh, and anyway, I said, to, oh, I thought, I said you, should, you should think about just putting a sign on the window. Because I said, guess who goes to these shows? Truck drivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, wouldn't that be a great thing to put on the window? I'm looking for, I'm looking for a driver to steer me type thing. Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. We, we didn't do it. Um, but anyway, on the Monday, our transport manager said to me, hey, Murray... He said, you know how you wanted to put that sign in the window? I said, yep. He said, guess what? He said, I got a phone call from three different people. Yeah. Same as any work at Road Metals. Yeah. We, admittedly, we did win the prize uh, that, that year, uh, Best Fleet. Yeah. So we did win the prize. Yeah, and that's a great segue into the next little thing. Like, you're still a very image-conscious um, company. Like, the trucks the trucks that turn up, uh, you know, they, could, they, have, they have more on them than what they need to have in terms of to make them look something a little... But out of the ordinary, that a road metal truck is never just a, a bland old. Um, no, well, well, what happens actually? Um, my son Daniel, who was driving trucks for all, he's now a general manager. But when he was driving trucks, uh, he was living at our at home at that stage, and he was always late home. And I go, "What the hell are you doing?" I went out there to to uh, must be nine nine o'clock at night, and I thought I'd go to the quarry to see what he's doing. I couldn't see him. The truck, the truck deck was up. I'm calling out to him, and he's, he, he appeared from underneath. He's polishing the diffs, for Christ's sake. Well, not polishing them, but cleaning them. I go, what the hell? I said, it's a gravel truck. Yeah. Um, you know, he was very upset when it was raining. I said, Daniel, you've got to understand it's a gravel truck. We only, we try and keep them right, but, but hey, at the end of the day, don't get carried away. But Daniel's very, very fussy. He's the one that's been ordering, ordering the trucks now. And the price that I see that I sign off, Next thing, it's all these extras, um, lights and white aerials and yeah. everything else. Um, sometimes I go crook, but again, I probably am conscious of image. Yeah, I, I like things to look right. And again, um, have you been to our quarries? They're all tidy. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. I mean, when I drive in, actually, it's quite funny. If I go into Amaru, um, you might see some um, uh, some Utes because our trucks, our drivers are all very, very good, right? You might see some use on the wash, and then someone will say, "Oh, it's Murray on his way down." <laughs> but what I will do when I arrive on a job, I'll quite often open the door of a truck yeah. and a Ute. I'll do the same with the Ute, yeah. and just look inside to see if it's if it's looks yeah. alright. Yeah. Yeah. Um, say, so well, I drove trucks for a while, and actually, do you know what? My biggest bugbearer, my biggest bugbearer, is when I see people with dirty windows. Yeah. Well, I go, "You're going to sit there and look out that for 14 hours a day?" Well, it's probably yeah. only 12 hours a day now, but. Um, yeah, that's a real big bit. Like Friendly loaders as well. Yeah. I mean, I'll do the same. I'll go to quarry. I'll open up the door of the, of the loader and have a look inside. Yeah. But if I see a dirty window, I'm not happy. Yeah. Because that person's straining his eyes. Why don't Why don't you get out? When I drove trucks, I kept window lean. Yeah. Um, beside me, behind the seat. Yeah. And I, when I was getting loaded, I used to hop out with the window preen, whatever it was, and just give her a spray and yeah. wipe up. Yeah. I always had clean windows. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, like the image of the trucks. It, that's what makes the eight-year-old walking up the street with his dad turn his head and watch it go past and think, shit, I want a bit of that. Correct. Isn't it? Correct. You know? And this is what I think. The reason why I haven't had too many issues, well, I have now, so I have got an issue now, but I didn't have. The reason I didn't have an issue, I think the trucks were well presented. Yeah. And they're quality brands. Yeah. So if you're going to, if you if you want a job driving a truck, wouldn't you go for a company that's got nice, clean-looking trucks? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 And actually what I do, this will interest you, and I think it's in our book, I do what I call, I shouldn't give too many secrets away, but anyway, <laughs> I, if I, was, I don't employ people now, but I used to. And what I'd always do, I'd interview someone, talk to them, just as you and I are talking now, just, just yep. freely, 
And you get a feel for people. I reckon I'm a pretty good judge of character. Yeah. And I'd give them a mark out of 10. But because I was a smoker, I'd then say, oh, come out and I'll see you off. So I'd walk outside and I want to have a look at their car. I'd do the, what I call the car test. Yeah, yeah. And I'd look at the, when they open the door, what I want to do is just to see how much gear. I don't care whether it's a, whether it's a $500 car or a $50,000 car. The only thing I'm interested in is how they look after it. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, and I'll give you an example. There was one person there, and he, when I talked to him, I was really, really impressed. I thought, oh, geez, he's pretty fantastic. And I think out of 10, I gave him a 9. I thought, right, oh, yeah, he's pretty good. And then I went outside, and I said, I'll come out and have a cigarette. So I walked out. He opened up the door of his car, and I'm looking at the, and I was horrible. I think he saw the look on my face, too. I said to him, do you use this as a rubbish bin? Because when I looked inside, he had McDonald's ready um, wrappers there. He had milkshakes, things lying on the floor. And I was just astounded. Actually, to hop in the passenger seat, you would have, we would have had to sit on about bloody a foot of rubbish. You know, dirty rubbish. Yeah. And and I went in and just took him off the list immediately. Yeah. No. Just gone. Yeah. I thought, if you can't look after his car, you can't look, look after one of our trucks. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, he was gone. There was another example. I was talking to this guy, and I was really, really impressed with him. Very impressed, and again, I'm going out to do the car test. So I walk out, and it was a ma- I've never seen anything like it. I've ne- it was just immaculate. And um, I didn't have a job at the time, but I was so impressed. When I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to phone up one of my competitors, but I said, you're only on loan to them. I said, as soon as I've got a job, I'm going to give you a call. You can't <laughs> yeah, so I actually organised a job for him. Um, yeah, it's, it, to me, I'm not saying it's foolproof. I'm not saying it's 100% foolproof. But, again, the car test, it has worked in the past for me. Yeah, 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 yeah no, absolutely, 100%. I always remember a valuable lesson I learned from a great mentor of mine. When I got my first car, it was a Morris Marina. And I was, I was, yeah, and we had to talk about looking after it one day. And he said, he said, if you work on the theory that when I get a good car, I'll look after it, he said, that'll never happen. If you don't look after <laughs> the first thing you ever got, Correct. he said, you'll never look after the best thing. Correct. You miss love at the start, you miss love at the end. Yep, yep. Yeah. You know what, I, I sometimes I wonder, and, and a lot of our, and I'll call them the originals, uh, as I said, we've still got really four or five people that worked at Trizal, which was about over 40 years ago. Um, um, we, we sat on Michigan loaders, we had no air conditioning. The air conditioning was to open both doors of the front end loader. I remember, I remember um, um, the, the trucks going up Linda's Pass, I mean, the air conditioning was with the doors down. I remember we had a Dodge, an old Q Dodge. And the guy had taken the hinges off and had both doors <laughs> pulled forward to get the air running through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember as a kid sitting in the passenger seat, it was a bit scary for me because I'm looking at no seatbelts yeah, in those days. I'm, I'm looking down the road yeah. just yeah. But bloody hell, it was hot because, yeah, I mean, you've got the motors inside. Yeah, bloody yeah. hell, the heat. But, um, yeah, incredible. So um, are we allowed to talk about events in Omaroo or what's happening in Omaroo or is that a secret? No, no, no. Yeah, so we don't have secrets. Don't have secrets? No. Oh, that's actually, my surprise then. No, and actually one thing that I have insisted on, when we have our health and safety meetings, I always also get up and I tell our staff what's happening, what's on the agenda. Yeah. Um, you know, I just like them to be involved. Yeah. Um, when I ran the, um, the Colvin job, it was an earthworks job, I was actually out of my depth a little bit there, but what I used to do is bring the plans out to show all the operators. And I remember I had a foreman there, and he says, what are you showing them the plans for? Next thing they'll want to run the job. I go, that's good. <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with that? Yeah. You know, I, you know what? Road bills, we've had some good ideas, and I can't take credit. I can only take credit for half of them. The other half have come from the staff. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, they'll say, what about such and such? And I might say, shit, that's a good idea. Mm. 
So let's let's work on that. Or I might say, no, that's not going to work because of such and such. Yeah. But I don't run a secret service. I, I'm an open book. So no, when you said that a secret, no, it's no. Def- definitely not. Okay. Well, what, what, what's about that? What's happening in Omaru then, Murray? What? Uh, we've got a yard down there, and we've had the yard for quite a while. The sea is eroding. I'm not going to say it's because the climate could change, <laughs> because I don't necessarily agree with that. But anyway. Um, what it is, the sea has taken some of the yard away. So what we're doing now, we bought a piece of land just just north of Omaru. Well, it's on the town, just on the outskirts of town. And I always figured that it wouldn't be under my watch um, that, that we would we would have to shift. But I actually figured it would be later on. But again, when I say I want road mills to last for a hundred years, the the idea is I knew that the yard's not going to last for that long, so I bought some land thinking, hey, in another 20 years we're probably going to put a yard there. When I was down in Omaru about two years ago, um, it was actually the seas beating us, um, it's received, the land is receding pretty fast, and we needed to put in a new truck wash and a new fuel installation. The cost was going to be 200000 and I figured, why would I spend that there? And also, there was a heap of rock there. We had trucks carting rock and protecting it. We're not getting paid for it. And I suddenly thought, we're farting against thunder here. At the end of the day, the seas are eventually going to claim it. Um, we can put all the rock in there we like. We're st- uh, let's just look at moving. Yeah. yeah so, hence, we are putting a new yard in at Omaru, just north of Omaru. And, um, yes, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that's going to be fantastic. It looks like it's going to be under my watch now, but yeah. I didn't think it would be. Oh, no, that's fantastic. Yeah. You'll be able to cut the room and have a beer and shoot a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, so what's the very last question? So um, what's the so what are your, what's the key What's the key to the 100-year business for you? What's the key? Staff. Yeah. Staff. Um, that's what will make or break it. Um, again, what I say to the staff, I may be the managing director. I'm only one cog in the, in the wheel. Um you're all very important. You're all a cog each. Yeah. And, and if one of those cogs collapses, um, yeah, we're in trouble. So, again, I've got to say, I've got to credit, we've got very, very good staff, strong staff, staff with good ideas. And, um, you know, I think, in all fairness, we're in quite good stead at the moment. But, again, I, it's never happened before, but we have got a staff shortage. Yeah. yeah. And it's a shame. Yeah. It's a shame. You know what? A lot of our drivers, and I'm going right back to maybe when I was a kid in the trucks, most of our drivers come off farms. Yeah. Um, and actually, in the truck, I used to take a lot of children for rides. And again, a lot of those people now actually knock on the door, well, not now, but you now years ago, knock on the door and say, I'd like a job. So it was great. Uh, what The roadless philosophy is to involve everyone. Have everyone as part of it. And you might have noticed when I was talking about a mission statement, it was done by the staff. Yeah, it was me that encouraged them to put on that. Yeah, to have yeah. fun in the workplace. Yeah, and that's and that's uh, that's neat that they yeah. involved because then they'll feel like ownership of the mission statement. We're I'm very very lucky, and again, I may be repeating myself here, but when I was reminiscing with a couple of our staff the other day, I said to them, "There's nothing I'd change." Yeah, sure, we've had some bad times, had some rough times, but it makes you appreciate the good times. Do you know yeah. what? They said the same thing. They said, Murray, we wouldn't change anything either. Yeah. You know, so I think that's a... It's a um, and that's all you can ever ask. That's all you can ask. Yeah. You know, one of the drivers, I said to them, well, he's a quarry manager, I said, no, do you regret anything? He said, no, we had the best time. Yeah. And we did. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, machines and playing and 
Join us on Trucking Radio 24-7 as we travel on the road with thousands of New Zealand truck drivers. If you want to reach and influence the transport market, Trucking Radio will get your business in the ears of the transport industry's decision makers, operators and drivers 24-7. Keep on moving podcast, industry association time in the business corner and um, first first representative uh, this month is uh, CEO of IARA 8. Aotearoa Transporting New Zealand, Nick Leggett. And my gosh, there's a whole heap of stuff happening in the industry at the moment, <laughs> in the moment isn't it? Um, there's no time for boredom. Uh, I can tell you that, Dave. No time at all. Yeah, that's, and, and never a more critical time in history to have our, to have our best interests uh, cast forward by, by the various representations within the industry. And we've got a question from um, a listener that we'll, I'll, I'll save to the end. Um, but... Uh, about the electronic logbook thing, but before we go there, let's just touch base on a couple of uh, hot topics around the around the um, the traps. First one is uh, road user charges, uh, cost of living, spending, and then the uh, the, the, the decrease, the handing on of uh, that, the handout from from clients who want the the savings put straight on mm. the bottom line, mm. um, and then obviously the old chestnut of where's the money going anyway. So there's a yeah. lot happening in that space at the moment, and in, in a when when the um, cost of trucking is going through the roof yeah there certainly is i mean the, the ruck discount um okay so it's about a 36 percent discount on road user charges for three months um which started at uh, i think on um the 21st of april now this was was welcomed uh it's it's not going to see a decrease in what's spent on roads because the the crown are going to take that money from elsewhere in their budget so that's good news. Of course, we don't think they're spending enough on roads by any stretch of the imagination. But this was an acknowledgement, I think, of you know significant cost pressures that are being seen in a very volatile fuel market. 
and I think you know I don't think I need to go into any detail on on that. Um, the issue we've got, I think, there are two issues. The first is that we've we've certainly heard cases of just of customers of the industry just putting their hand out and saying thanks very much. Um, some operators who are in a good position with their customers and are picking up uh, cost recovery elsewhere have been happy to hand it over. But you know, this is, as we know, a very low margin industry. And so any reprieve, uh, you know, any easing of that cost pressure at any time is, is very welcome. Um, and so our advice has been to, to transport operators um, is actually keep, keep it if you can. Have that discussion with your customer in a proactive way and, and actually talk a little bit about how your costs have increased. Because for us, the biggest, the most important principle here is that transport operators have viable businesses. Right now, uh, when costs have been ramped up, where the industry supported the country through COVID, it's really important that uh, people who are carrying freight uh, have uh, money in the tin to be able to keep doing that. And so um, we're not just saying you know, that to our members in the industry, we're saying that to the customers of the industry as well. And I think it's an important message. So, uh, you know, and I think it'll go on. The second point I think is worth making, um, you know, this is the problem when governments intervene in anything. They give a discount or they intervene in the economy. Um, they subsidise something. What ends up happening is it's a really easy thing to, to start. Oh, well, we're going to subsidise air freight as they did at the start of lockdown, uh, the first lockdown, so more than two years ago. Well, they're still subsidising air freight into New Zealand at a, you know, I think a cost of many millions of dollars per week. Now, I don't think any of us would say, listening would say, well, that's a bad idea in itself because we needed to keep those connections going as part of the supply chain. But it begs the question, what should the government be involved in and what shouldn't it? And what we've got is a, very, is a government that's prepared to, you know, stick its fingers into, you know, basically anything. They're now talking about uh, intervening in the supply chain more generally, there's a, a paper out that you know talks about how they can, you know, get involved, and you know the last thing we want is the government telling us how freight should be moved or telling any of the, the parties that are experts in their field, uh, you know, how freight should be moved. And you know it is this principle about you know government involvement and government intervention. So we've said yeah, because my viewers, Dave, and I'd be interested to know what you think. It's really easy to say we're going to subsidise road user charges. What happens at the end of three months when when international uh, fuel prices are still volatile and they they move to whip that thirty six percent discount off? You know, uh, what difference is that really going to make? Well, oh, that's exactly right. And of course, especially at a time when you're in a in a tragic cost of living crisis and inflation's rampant, and then you whip a subsidy off, and it just adds to the cost, and the price goes up when you're trying to. They'll get pay, no thanks for it. Know, They'll get yeah. no thanks for it. And it goes, and all the air freight subsidy you're talking about, you know, two years ago, when does it become the new normal? That's it. That's it. And so it's it's a and this is all the stuff that can you know that contributes to the sort of bubble, the sort of Muldoonist bubble this protectionist, interventionist kind of economy that leads to massive cost increases, high inflation, you know, reduced productivity. I just think we've got to be on guard. And, um, you know, we welcome the road user charge uh, reduction because, uh, you know, it, it gave, um, you know, these 
these costs for, for, for people in our industry? Of course we did. But now we've, now we've got it. Um, I don't think we want it taken away uh, because people are still going to be hurting. Oh, absolutely. And, and they've, tried, they've got to pull the reins in on the, on, the, um, it, it, on, the, on the inflation question. And, of course, you're talking about the, when you get a few extra shekels in the tin through, through the help and then instantly handing it on to customers when, you know, with fuel so volatile, the minute fuel yeah. goes up, the minute fuel moves, it goes straight to your bottom line from the first tank you put in yeah. the, at the new price. And, and if, if you've been Mr. Mr. Kind person and put some of your customers on 60 or 90 days credit, well, then you're going to have to carry that fuel increase for two months because you'll be expected to pay the cost of the fuel on the 20th of the following month, if not before, exactly. if not before. That's right. So it's, it's, it's far from over this sort of pressure. But look, the thing about transporting New Zealand is, you know, we are, if there are operators listening that want advice on costs um they want advice you know we've, we've obviously you know we've got services we've got fuel schemes anything like that just give us a call um and 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 we're prepared to sort of work through um you know business issues and provide support where we can um, that's the whole purpose of the association yeah yeah that's exactly right yep well, well said Interesting email exchange during the week, Nick, between you and an industry participant retired on the subject of young people and vehicles. And I thought your response was was uh, good, and I thought your response was well worth having on the podcast. Dave, you are an industry person, and I'm not. You know, I've come into the industry, and I think it's really important to get different perspectives on this. And I'm not saying my perspective's right because there's some fact and there's some, you know, um, myth, <laughs> and. Um, the the first the first point is he said basically and I've heard this echoed around the industry, um, you know, the reason we don't have young people coming up into the industry is because and we have a shortage of drivers now is because kids weren't allowed to drive with their parents in trucks. Now, I'm sure that is a small part of that problem of a shortage of drivers, but the reality is you can have other people in cabs. You've just got to demonstrate that you've taken steps uh, to induct them into your health and safety rules and um, that um, they are, uh, you know, aware and that, and that a driver is aware of, um, you know, of, of risk and of, um, uh, you know, of, of keeping people safe. And I've seen that happen at, um, uh, in, in, in trucking um, workplaces where they've got, you know, ride a kid riding with their parent for a day in the truck or their grandparent um, for the for the very purpose, you know, that keeps that connection to the pack, as you say. Really important. But there seems to be this idea it can't happen now. Um, but it can happen. It's just got to be, you know, and there are, I know there are companies that have got policies that say nobody in the cab. So that's, that's an individual, you know, business decision. But, you know, my view is, our view is that if you take it, if you, if you, Think about what works safe. Say, if you look at the Health and Safety at Work Act, um, if you follow the rules and you take all practical steps, you should be able to do it. Um, but my bigger problem with it is, with this sort of messaging, is that, and I hear this throughout the industry, is that people pick one thing and they say, ah, this is the reason why we've got a shortage of drivers. There are several reasons why we've got a shortage of drivers. Um, and frankly, and I want to be really blunt about this, the biggest reason we have a shortage of drivers is the fault of the industry. It's not 
some external government body. It's, it's transport operators thinking that they can just attract a class five driver by putting an advert in and taking somebody that somebody else has trained. If we want more skilled, younger class five drivers that are going to last longer in the industry, individual businesses have got to train them themselves. It's as simple as that. And I know that some people will agree with me. Some people won't. That's fine. But I'm telling you, we've got a traineeship, uh, Te Araki Tour, Road to Success. It's got qualifications. It assists operators to bring drivers in over a year and, and train them up and, and get them to a class five. Um, you know, we've, we've got more people wanting to be truck drivers and we've got operators volunteering to take a trainee. So I, I, I challenge anybody to argue and I've got other examples as well, to argue with me that the change actually that we need to see is among employers in the industry. Yeah. Because um, other industries spend thousands of dollars, you know, per business and bringing apprentices and trainees in, train them up because they know that's the future. This industry, there is an, there, and I, I could say this, I, I know I'll, I'm caught in controversy. I, I actually don't care because this is the most important issue we face. And unless some hard truths are heard, we're not going to see change. The arms are folded of the industry. They think it's somebody else's job to bring them drivers. It's not. We've got to grow the driver force that we need. And, you know, we've spent time uh, transporting New Zealand on behalf of the whole industry. doesn't matter if you're a member or not. doesn't matter if you're a carrier or you've got, you just, you've got a business that, that's got trucks as part of the business. We, we've got that on offer. And it hasn't been taken up to the, to the, you know, to the scale that I think it should have been. Um, We've got 30, I think 33 trainees across the country currently in training. Amazing the stickability of the candidates, the commitment of the employers. It's, it's going really well. But my God, we'd love another 20 or 30 operators to put their hands up today. 100? You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Look, this is the thing. And, 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 it, and I know from history, not because I've seen it particularly, um, and I'll give you another example on another occasion where I, you know, I feel very confident in saying what I'm saying. With the, you know, I can back it up with evidence. But you know, the industry gets opportunities, and often it doesn't take them. And and we've got, you know, to me, you know, I'm a big believer. And if you've got a problem, the best person to solve it is usually the person with the problem. And we've got support from government. We've got support from MSD and from the Ministry of Education. Uh, on the traineeship, there are subsidies available, Dave, you know, to, to, to operators to take a trainee. Um, and, yeah, it is different employing younger people now. Younger people now are different. Um, but if you want to keep having a business with, you know, a good labour force into the future, you've got to suck it, suck it up and, and get it done. Yeah, that's right. And, I mean, the, the, the generation that will change the face of an industry is the generation that will run that industry in the next 40 years. So the only yeah. they coming through are actually telling everyone how they want to work. Yeah, that's going to be reflected. That's going to be reflected in rates. And, and I mean, look, at the end of the day, the whole reason why the industry has never really been overly engaged in cadets and things like that is because the rates mm. are so lean that they can't afford the bloody person. Yeah. And I mean, I was at a, um, 
I was at a company doing a story a few months ago and they run a very specialist arm of transport. In fact, you could argue that in some ways they have a job you need a truck for rather than a truck job. Um, and yeah. like, and they have specialist skill sets within that and they're very proactive and they have three cadets in the business all the time because they said, if we don't, we're, we're buggered. That's, we, can't, we, can't, we can't afford not to train people. We can't rely on the pool. That's it. It's pro- but it's priorities as well. You say the rates are so lean we can't afford to train. I'm sorry, that's an excuse. Yeah, because you won't have a business unless you do do it. And and and, and it's not that I'm denying. I mean, we know this is a, a low um, margin industry, so I'm not. But it is people to invest in big, you know, and expensive gear. What's the most important? The trucks are not the most important part of this industry. It's actually people. Yeah. And until we, you know, and I know it's trucks that make most people want to work in it, and I totally get that. Um, but it's um, but it is you know it's people that we that have got to power the the thing and that's what we're short of so um i just think it's a shift that's required and um frankly if custom customers need to understand that in a chain of responsibility where they have responsibility they've got to pay rates that you know enable training enable safety enable people earning a livable wage and that's the other thing i I actually challenged last of all and this is not so much for our industry it's for people outside it we're not badly paid actually you got a, you're driving a 50 ton unit and you've got a class, well, obviously you've got a class five license. You've got some experience. You, you, you're earning well above the median wage and it's only going up at the moment. And we know the reasons for that, but yep. this, you know, but we've got this external perception that truck drivers are poorly paid. I, yep. I had a beer with a guy last night who had his own business done well over the years He's now driving a truck and earning six figures and thoroughly enjoying it. And he brings, you know, he's, he's, he's intelligent, he's, he's capable, um, and he's, you know, older than the demographic probably we're looking to attract as a trainee. But, you know, he was driving a truck in his youth, had a professional career, came back to it, um, and, you know, like, it takes all sorts to, to carry, you know, to carry the industry, and I, that's, one, that's one part of it. And I... Um, you know, there's a good story to tell. Oh, it's a really good story. And, and I certainly agree with you in terms of the wages, but I'll, but I'll say that a lot of that progress has been made in the last half decade. Yeah. Oh, a lot um, of that progress I, um, is, is reasonably yeah. recent progress. I think if you yes, went back yes, five years, yeah. you might find, and, and I've yeah. always been a huge advocate of, of getting the, getting the rates up and to where they sort of are approaching nowadays, because I, one of my chestnuts is it's the largest single moving object allowed free reign in society and the control of one person. Absolutely. You're so, so right. So, so, so right. you know, I don't really want someone on 1950 to an hour bringing 23 meters. Uh, Cause that's probably going to be the wrong person. 23 yes. meters, 50 ton at 90 kilometers an hour. I, I want them to be paid well and have the right person attracted into the, Absolutely. into the, um, I'm I'm with you, and I and the stats, you know, the, the figures that I've seen around pay rates, um, that completely back you up. Yep. The last half decade where the progress has been made. Yeah, yep. absolutely. And one of the things, if we if we're on the subject today, if, if you and I are on the subject of pulling the pin and throwing the grenade into the into the beer pit, um, yeah, one, one of the my things that I've, you know, I, and I seem to be shouting against the storm here, but I'm still a huge advocate of. I think the industry is actually too easy to get into, and it's too easy to get a license for the very reasons that I said before about what the vehicle actually represents in terms of its social movement. Yeah. I want someone that's had to go through quite a bit to get behind the wheel of the bloody thing. And, totally. and also it's, 
a lot of the problem we have with rates and no money to train people because the margins are so low is because it's still incredibly bloody easy to get into it. It's a piece of cake. Yes, absolutely. TSL, you get a person of fine stature bloody certificate or whatever that is, which which in a lot of cases it's... It doesn't have to be, you don't have to be buddy, uh, the governor general to get a bloody TSL. And then your finance company will give you some money and you go and tell a customer who thinks he's paying too much that you'll take $5 a ton off the rate and you're in business. Yeah, and that's a, it's that race to the bottom again. And so I think it's about how we value ourselves as well. Yeah. Like actually you're doing great work for the country you're doing work for customers. You're the most important cog in their wheel in many cases. So we've got to value that and we've got to charge accordingly. But I, and, I, and I also agree with Dave, in terms of you know, there should be a higher bar to entry, but that's once again why we should think about a formalised traineeship with real qualifications. Mm. 40% of truck drivers, according to the census, say they have no qualifications. They can come, you know, any... Anybody listening to me who drives a truck or owns a trucking company, you can come and get an NZQA qualification, and I think it's still free, a micro-credential through MITO, and do about eight to ten hours worth of online study, and you will have, you'll have a micro-credential. And that will build you up to something bigger over time. But actually, we can solve, we've, and we've developed these, these micro-credentials as part of the traineeship. But they should, they, what, the whole point of it was to, to be available to every driver. You know, these are relevant credentials for working in the trucking industry. So I just, I, I give a plug for that. And once again, people can contact us to ask us about it. Um, it's, it's, we've got to, we've got to, you know, be prouder and lift our game, but it's mainly the conversations with ourselves, yep. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yep. Uh, there's this idea, I think as well, that, you know, Kiwis somehow don't like truck drivers. Well, look, I, I can tell you, I mean, we, we've done research on it. Kiwis do value truck drivers. They certainly after COVID. And they like them, you know, so we've got to hold our heads up a bit higher. Yeah, yeah, no, interesting. Right, moving on, the last thing on the topic, moving on to the uh, listener question. Uh, we had a question come through during the month since the last, yep. uh, could you ask about whether where the associations stand on ELDs, electronic logging devices, electronic logbooks? There's a more and more of them creeping into the industry all of the time. They are basically digitizing what is an archaic fatigue management system. Um, that, that determines that you'll be tired at specific times of the day and not be tired at, at other times of the day. Um, and they just wanted to know where are, you, where are you at in the lobbying of the evolution of these things so that they potentially yeah. represent a more realistic view of the driving day. Yeah. Okay, there's a lot in there. Um, so <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, electronic logbooks, we support them being rolled out to the whole industry. Once again, I know that's controversial. It's happening. I'm in agreement. Uh, and we have to we have to roll with that and endorse it. And um, the technology is there, so uh, it is what it is. And really, you know, it's about ruck payment, and rucks are a tax. And if you don't pay them, it's tax avoidance. So yes, they are going to. But they will be. I think there'll be an announcement in the next few months. I've been saying that for quite a while now, but I think it will be. Um, and the industry needs to. This is the thing. The industry has to pick the stuff that it wants to fight. It can't push back against everything. The wider LED situation, you know, the anti-fatigue management systems and trucks, look, I think they're really useful. I think we've, we're still awaiting data that tells us how useful they are. We are not, we spend a bit of time just trying to 
talk to officials that tend to buy into the stuff. They get sold. You know, we think a lot of these things are problems looking for a, uh, or a solutions looking for a problem. You know, so we don't just endorse everything. And because what you don't want is government coming out and saying, well, that cab management system is going to, you know, solve world, you know, hunger. Um, you know, solve every problem known to a truck driver because they're not. The safest thing for a driver is to be well rested and to have situational awareness and 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 to actively manage those and and, and be connected to you know their employer um, you know and the systems that their employer has. So, um, just relying on a bit of technology to 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 to, to stop things, I think, is you know narrow. But of course, there are some that are doing some great work. Um, the the what was the last there was the other aspect to what you, you raised there that I wanted to pick up on what was the um um in terms of the just the wider the scope of of how we actually manage driving hours oh so yeah so know, driving hours yeah so really good of, I mean you're absolutely of, right it's at the it's moment we have on. a system where you will be tired during this period of time and you won't be tired during this period of time even if you're stuffed. So it's really important, I think, that we do not try and push out the hours because they're generous by international standards. I think if we raise the hours, we will have them pegged back. So I think we've got to protect the driving hours as they are, but you're talking about the flexibility within those hours, aren't you? Yes, correct. And I think there's some stuff. We're we're working with livestock industry, and it's being driven actually by uh, operators and, and one part of the livestock industry around a fatigue management system that gives a bit more flexibility because livestock it's you know is one of those things you've got animals you've got live animals and you're not going to and, and and they're in and out of the truck often with pickups and jobs they're not just you know stuck to a wheel for five hours straight it's a and if they can demonstrate that they can manage fatigue and that they can you know that they're dealing with mitigating some of those you know fatigue and hour related risks um we're hopeful that uh, Kotahi, the, the transport agency might be more flexible and this could potentially work for the you know the rest of the industry but there is a fatigue management uh, program available for operators uh, anywhere across the country I think there are some fairly big hoops to jump through but I do know two and I think it is the only two operators that are part of that it hasn't been taken up though once again so um, yeah we're, we're, we're working on this particular in livestock where they are saying this is particular to livestock but my view is if we can get that across the line it's been driven by operators supported by transport in new zealand uh with with officials i reckon um you know there, there could be it could be a good model for the rest of the industry to pick up so mm-hmm. but i don't think we should i don't think we should be talking about expanding driving hours it's about flexibility within those hours if we can demonstrate safety oh 100 percent agreed yeah 100 percent yeah. agreed yep absolutely Thank you very much, uh, Nick Leggett, uh, Transporting New Zealand, and we'll let you recover for a month and come back. We'll have another lash. This is the Keep On Moving podcast. We're in our industry segment right now, and this time to James Smith, and we asked him firstly about kids and trucks. Yeah, so this is the old um, can kids ride in trucks question, and it's been around probably, gosh, now at least 20-odd years. Where, where there's a sort of a, a bit of a myth out there that the government has banned kids from riding in trucks, uh, that it's against work safe, um, it's against the law. And um, basically it's not. 
there, there is no um, law against a kid riding in a truck. Uh, what you have got, though, is you've got um, an overabundance of very risk-adverse health and safety people uh, that say um, the best way to um, minimise the risk of anyone getting injured is to stop them from being there in the first place. So it's more of a, a health and safety person's uh, perspective rather than a, a legislation uh, yeah, requirement. Right. And that, that sort yeah. of approach is almost to delaying the inevitable injury. Isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I know we uh, know when we were at uh, when I was at Toll, we had um, we actually created a couple of opportunities for for for, for um, kids to ride in trucks, um, and uh, we had we actually had um, a, 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 an age. We did have an age limit um, if they were doing it, you know, during operations, uh, during actual, you know. Um, Visitors, uh, and there were some rules regarding, you know, where they're allowed to go inside of depots and things like that. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that sort of um, thou shalt never um, see anyone that's not actually a driver. Um, and again, in, in in a lot of areas, it's it, you just got to talk to your um, to your to your customers, talk to your employers, because in many cases, um, uh, it, you'll find that actually you. There are opportunities uh, to, to 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 take the kid along for a ride, especially during school holidays, as they're approaching, um, you know, that that age where they are reasonably uh, responsible. You know, I, I I even think about it at a, at a primal level. You know, when I like as I said, said, you know, we're the only mammal who's made the decision to remove the youth from the hunting pack, teach them to hunt remotely, then try and reintroduce them later, hoping that they'll be a yep. better hunter than had they been with the herd. You know, the best person to teach you to hunt is a good hunter. And I had a hell of an argument yes. one day with a person from, from, uh, well, they're actually from WorkSafe one day. And, you know, and I, and I actually said, you know, like, it's really, it's really arrogant of you lot to think that when we used to have uh, kids in the yard with the trucks that we just randomly put them with any driver who we could, like, there was a, the, the, you know, the, the guys in the company that I worked for made the youth mm. went, made sure the youth went with the good Guys, they didn't put them with an umpty because yeah. you, you want them to learn well off great practitioners in the in the in the industry. Yeah, yeah. And did the worksafe person say, actually, I'm not, I am, I'm not stopping you from doing that. You are. Oh, uh, no, no. There was, yeah. uh, it was, it was a, it was, yeah. a, it was a different type of exchange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was after, it was yeah, it was after a conversation I'd had with them about. Uh, the dangers of standing on a truck deck 1.5 metres off the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I think, I mean, we had a conversation this morning around the team, and it's, a, it's interesting, it's about things that were appropriate back when that are perhaps less so now. Um, and, you know, you've got things like misogyny and various other things like that, which have been quite topical at the moment in the media. Um, we, we've got people that make comments yeah. You know, that, that perhaps, you know, might have been, you know, normal, considered normal in 1968, uh, less so in 2022. And I think, so, you know, society is continually evolving. And I think that that's what you've got to look at. you just got to look at evolving the way you do things to match what um, what society is expecting of you. So, you know, yeah, it's not, a, it's not perhaps a, appropriate anymore to, to, to put, put people in imminent danger or risk of death just for shits and giggles. Um, and that's probably a good thing. 
but if you can um, expose people to the workplace in such a way that is is safe and and and, and practical, then um, then what's stopping you from doing that? Yeah, that's right. And I think touching on something we were talking about before we press go is what is actually stopping a lot of people from doing it and getting them from running scared is a lack of a lack of framework around what is every every you know every reasonable attempt to prevent. You know, that's right. Because they yeah, just leave yeah. them stuff open to say whatever you say, we'll say that wasn't enough. You know, we absolutely. And so yeah, yeah. We, and, had, we had a yeah. framework to work by. We'd know what the framework yeah. was to work by. Yeah, yeah, and I think that is one that is a very valid criticism, and I think we, we we've got that. Of, and it's not just of WorkSafe. I mean, we're sort of picking on WorkSafe here, but yeah, it's you could also say things with Waka Katahi and some of the others where where you have uh, things that are very subjective. And, and they say, you know, you're not best practice. Okay, so what is best practice? Well, we can't tell you because it's not actually clearly defined. And, and you see that with, um, you know, with, with, health and, with health and safety things all the time. Um, oh, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not best practice. Okay, so tell me what is. Oh, we can't. Um, so that, that, that's a frustration. And I think we've got to get better at doing that, is yeah. actually clearly defining clearly defining to everybody, um, hey, this is, if you want to be best in show, um, this, is what you, this is what you need to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. No, fantastic. So moving on to the question from the viewer, which was around electronic logbooks, and he, they were saying that they are becoming more prevalent, um, and they were just wanting to know where the association stood on the evolution and the development of the um, you know, the, the, the what's and wherefores around them. Because at the moment, they basically are an electronic version of recording an archaic system of fatigue management that basically says you will be tired between this hour and this hour, and you won't be tired between this hour and this hour, even if you do actually feel tired. So yeah. Um, and yeah. once you start, you can never stop. You've just got to go until, until you're done. Yeah. Um, and so they were wanting to know was, you know, yes, they're n- not necessarily a bad thing, that they will certainly tidy up the industry in a lot of areas, but is there any lobbying is there going on in terms of m- what they're actually recording making more sense? Okay. In, sh- in short, yes, there is. So uh, there are conversations uh, happening both at ministerial and, um, and agency level as to what is the better way of, of addressing fatigue. Uh, because that is the, if you look back, what is the purpose of, of, of the work time logbook rule? It was there to um, try and minimise uh, 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 fatigue. Now, the, the, I think everybody involved in the industry would have to say it doesn't do that particularly well. And the, and the main reason for that is, is the work, the, the logbook, uh, whether it's electronic or paper, merely records what you've done in your work day. It has no, um, there's no uh, impact on on, on fatigue. Uh, so that's the first problem. In respect to our, what's our position on electronic um, logbooks, they're just another form of logbook. So if you think by introducing an electronic logbook, you're going to solve all, all, your, all your problems, uh, you are, as we would say, a naive little bunny. Uh, so if you've got a good, robust um, system for managing uh, your paper logbooks, uh, introducing electronic logbooks may make that system a hell of a lot easier because a lot of it is automated. But just because and it's, that's exactly the same with any sort of telematics, computer systems, anything like that. If you are 
enabling something that you already have in your business that you have a high degree of understanding of and you're, and you're managing well, all it does is make life easier. No different to if you introduce zero or MYOB, if you're reasonably good at managing your money anyway, it just makes it easier. Yeah. Okay. If you crap at it, guess what? It ain't going to fix that. So um, that's our that, that's our word of caution regarding e-log books. I suppose the I suppose the area and a, and a, and you're dead right. I remember a, a a global leader in warehousing and logistics. One day I was listening to him talk, and he said he said um, uh, um, automating pro automating a bad process won't fix it; it'll only expose it. Hundred percent, and so. Yeah, but I suppose yeah. where, where they do, where they will tidy up, and of course everyone goes, "What? Not me? I'd never do such a thing." But I suppose where they will tidy up is it's a lot harder to have um, numbers two and three uh, lurking in the background. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, actually, actually, um, it's not. Uh, so you can you can you know the, the, just like with anything, if you've got a way of um, uh, gaming it, that 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 is perfectly possible in regardless of what what system you, you you've you're operating one thing what what it does do though is it does restrict what is perhaps called operational discretion okay as to um the ability to maybe move the hand of the watch slightly in from one direction or another because you're not quite there yet or you got there a little bit early so uh, because it is you know it's electronic if it's if it's twelve o'clock, it's twelve o'clock, right? Yeah. Um, so so you do need to be aware of that. But is that a bad thing? Probably not. No. Um, because it, it it does remove a lot of that sort of implied pressure of things. And again, if you're good at scheduling, okay, which you'd expect a professional to be, um, you'll have no no issue with with implementing uh, an electronic version of of the paper logbook, okay. Yeah. So um, and it and it does remove some of the literacy issues, um, and some of those issues you get where you know oh, that you, you, that's not legible because it's it's electronic. Okay, so there, there are there are some benefits to it, but we certainly you know you caution people saying oh, I'm going to put this in and it'll solve all my problems. No, um, because it won't. Mm. It won't. We 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 quite often have um, members saying, "Oh, they're going to invest in a computer system, or well, they're going to invest in something." And uh, the first question I always ask them is, "What are you using now?" Yeah. Okay. How are you How are you doing this now? Um, and quite often, all they need is a whiteboard. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, how are you managing your your R and M? How are you managing your uh, regos and lots of stuff? You know, do you need a system for that, or do you just need a what? Or do you just need, you know, um, a note in your in your calendar on Outlook or something like that? Yeah, you know, is there a, is there a, a simpler way of doing it? Because quite often people get sold a system as a solution when in fact uh, it's not required. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if the inputs weren't there to start with, they won't be there to end with. Uh, no, they won't. Yeah, fantastic. Hey, um, that's really good. I could talk for hours and that sort of thing. As soon as you get me going on processes and projects and outcomes and inputs and outputs and that, I'm quite hard to stop, especially if I've got a beer. Um, so yeah. we'll stop right there. Um, thanks very much, James. Everybody out there listening, there's always strength in numbers. So I, I'm a great believer in strength in numbers. So if I'm not here to peddle anyone's club, but if you're not in an association, then I would listen. 
pick the one you think is working for you and, and let, gather some strength in the industry and get our percentiles up in terms of representation. Great uh, interview. Again, looking forward to talking to you next month. Have a happy and safe month, James Smith. Sell your truck with Truck and Light Commercial Trader from $39 per month. Your industry-based used truck and trailer marketplace. Truck and Light Commercial Trader. Now with private listings. Gold and silver packages available. Register and create your ad by going to www.nztrucking.co.nz. Okay, keep on Just moving podcast on the nine. The uh, last of our industry association updates for this uh, month, and it is, of course, New Zealand Trucking Association CEO Dave Boyce, um, and he's uh, recently been over to the ATA conference in Australia, and I'm sure he's got a couple of things to say about that at some point. Um, there was an email circulated around the industry, and you weren't on the recipient list, but it was a generalised uh, email about uh, young people in trucks, and it went to a few commentators. Just interested to hear what you would have to say about it. The general flavour of the email was it was from a retired industry practitioner, and it was about the, um, you know, the damaging effect of not allowing kids to ride in trucks uh, as as we all did when we were young, and, it, and it's an avenue of uh, introduction to the industry that's just not existent anymore. And there was sort of interesting variation to the responses uh, from uh, agreement through to non-agreement that, that, that they still can. It's just a matter of choosing the right avenues. Any thoughts on it? Yeah, g'day, Dave, and um, good to talk to you again today. Um, you know, I certainly support anyone who's uh, trying to uh, get kids into the cabs of trucks. And I, I don't, I think there's areas and businesses where it will work and there's some businesses where it's just um, out of their hands because of the firms that they're dealing with, like going into ports and things like that, where they're just making it a no-go area. But, but certainly there's a lot of opportunities if you sign off on the health and safety and um, perhaps do an induction with the kids and that. But certainly... This whole area is one of the one of the reasons we put the road safety truck on the road in the first place, and that's to get around schools and community groups and actually get kids into trucks. It's not just about teaching them road safety. It's about getting them in the cab and getting them to experience what it's like to be in a truck. And I can tell you from um, the visits we've had, uh, you get a lot of excited kids who've, who've never been there before and... Um, are very keen to experience it. And uh, to date, I think we've had about 41,000 people through the cab of that truck. So that's a lot of people that have never had the opportunity before. Um, we've certainly got a catalogue of photos here of some pretty excited kids and some pretty great engagement uh, where they've brought their parents back later on to show them and, um, and not just small kids either. You know, some of these are um, teenage girls and that that... Uh, you know, when their opening statement to you is, I hate trucks, but once you get one of them in there and they're all excited, you've got the whole lot in, you know. So, um, no, I, I think rather than just put the blinkers up and say it can't be done, I think you've actually just got to look at ways you can do it. And, um, you know, even if it's just bringing them into your own site and um, showing, showing them how to go around your warehouse or your trucks or whatever, you know, even if it's on a Saturday or something like that, we've got operators that bring kids in to help them clean the, clean the trucks and things like that. Um, I think that's one way you can give kids an experience that's supervised and, um, and in a good way of doing things, yeah. yeah. The listener question for the month that uh, circulated to, to each of the three of you was regarding electronic logbooks, and they said that there's more and more of them coming in all the time. Uh, stance of the industry on, on of the association on uh, 
uh, electronic logbooks, the development, gaps and shortcomings uh, that are there, what's happening in terms of engagement with the regulator on uh, what is and isn't working, and what's happening encompassing that whole thing with regard to our somewhat archaic driving hours laws whereby you are fatigued by virtue of when you started your book and you're not fatigued when you finish your book. So when and when you're allowed to be tired basically is how we, is how we run it now, here in New Zealand. What, so what's, what's the association doing in, in that space? Well, certainly as far as uh, logbooks are concerned or a driver record of ours, um, whether it's paper-based or electronic, it, it's a means of uh, capturing the working day and, and providing the enforcement authorities a means of checking to see if, um, if you're working within the bounds of those uh, regulations. It doesn't necessarily um, control whether you are um, fatigued or not. Uh, and you were talking about the Australian conference. It was interesting. One of the reports at that conference um, was stating that um, a lot of the truck crashes, certainly where the driver is at fault, um, were happening in the first hour back at work um, after time off work. Um, you would hardly think that fatigue was an issue, um, but obviously it was fatigue outside of work um, that was impacting on that rather than fatigue at work. So, the logbook, whether it be electronic or paper-based, is not capturing what's happening outside the work. Um, so certainly um, some of the stuff that's coming out from Australia is there's um, quite a bit of discussion about whether they even have uh, electronic or have work diaries over there, um, as they call them, um, and whether they go down the fatigue management uh, route um, through other means. So... Interesting discussions. I uh, can't say whether I agree or disagree on that, um, but it's certainly an alternative way of looking at things. What else is happening in the association? What else have you got to tell us, Dave Boyce? Well, certainly, as you're saying, we've just been over at the ATA, Australian Trucking Association Conference. Um, very interesting uh, discussions there. Certainly similar issues to New Zealand, uh, but just on a larger scale. I mean, they've got driver shortages and an ageing driver population. I think um, they were saying their average age is about 54, which is probably a few years younger than our average age. So uh, I think we're about 58 at the moment. Fatigue, distraction, driver wellbeing are all big issues over there. Um, interesting um, report from um, one of the big insurance companies over there on... Um, truck crashes that they had over there um, and one of the statistics that had come out was uh, truck crashes involving another road user um, 80 percent of them were suicide by truck and that's horrendous yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah a, a big issue and um It'll be interesting to see what the numbers are in New Zealand. I'm, I'm not too sure that we've got anything accurate on that at this stage. Um, they're certainly um, trying to attract as many young people into the industry as they can. Um, they're trying to attract um, more women, uh, different ethnic cultures, and, um, and and a range of diversity type uh, actions there. Um, They've been hit by dramatic increased costs, including fuel. Um, they've got all supply issues around new equipment. Um, 
They've been through a lot bigger uh, issues around Ad Blue than we uh, have, but they have put measures in place to sort that out now. So they are producing a lot more in Australia than what they were before. So right. um, they were having issues around that. Um, issues around supply with vehicles and equipment, um, same issues we've got here. Although talking to some of the manufacturers over there, sounds like they're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, <clears throat> and they're hoping in the next 12 months they'll be starting to get back because um, they've been sort of covering off on how they can cover some of the events with supply chain and how they can cover off what's happening in Europe and they're sort of rejigging themselves to sort of try and work around those things. Um, interesting discussions over there around deteriorating infrastructure. Um, Go figure. Yeah, yeah, same sort of thing here. Yeah, and a lot of um, a lot of work going on over there to try and get um, the government to come up with a uh, like a an inland truck route that would basically cover most of the eastern seaboard from Adelaide up to Cairns. So they're looking at that. Um, so not necessarily in the same area that the cars are at, um, and a lot of it may even be dirt roads. But um, so no. A lot of discussion on uh, emerging new technologies and how to transition your fleet. And um, there's a lot of discussion around uh, incentivising the uptake of uh, Euro 6 technology at the moment as a, as a uh, stopgap until um, new technologies come on stream. Um, they sort of still think that uh, the heavy diesel market for the big trucks, uh, they think that dominant technology is still, um, or new technology, I should say, is still a wee way away from being decided. You've got some manufacturers uh, going down the EV road and others going down the hydrogen. Um, but, yeah, I don't think there's any one dominant technology. Well, the thing with Australia is you've got two different countries, haven't you, divided by a range of great divide, oh. isn't it? Like the eastern seaboard is not what's on the west of the eastern seaboard. No, no. In fact, it, it was an interesting map put up showing the, the, the map of Australia and basically if you look down the side of the eastern seaboard and a little bit round the bottom of um, Perth and round the bottom of that side of the country and that that's 89% of the population in Australia and it's probably on about 15% of the land mass. So yes. there's, a, there's a big area in between that... Um, yes, it's going to take a lot of work to try and service with anything other than diesel trucks, I think. But certainly, um, on a plus side, compared to uh, New Zealand, um, they've got to deal with eight state uh, governments and one federal government. Yeah. We yeah. only have to deal with one. Yeah. So uh, you're talking about trying to align rules and permits and things like that. Um, yeah, she's a big challenge, all right. And that's one of the great um, things that John Woodruff, the ex-emeritus professor from Michigan State University, used to say about coming to New Zealand. He said it's a fantastic little laboratory for the rest of the world because you've only got one government to convince. You can test anything, basically. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, hey, look, even taking all that into account, uh, you talk about operating costs and that between the two countries and, um, you know, their operating cost per kilometre for an equivalent uh, vehicle in New Zealand is considerably less than here, so um, makes you wonder why, you know, um, and I, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, taxes and uh, bits and pieces that, um, that they're not paying and we are, so um, so yeah, no, interesting discussions and a lot of information learnt. 
The other stuff we're up to, Dave, uh, we're about to relaunch our road safety truck in partnership with the Australian Trucking Association. We're bringing the uh, Safety 360 virtual reality program to New Zealand, aimed at 16 to 25-year-olds, and um, they're certainly overrepresented in deaths and serious injuries on the road involving trucks. This is a really exciting development and it's been extremely successful in Australia so we're hoping to replicate that here. The 30th of July uh, ourselves New Zealand Trucking Association National Road Carriers have uh, got together and we're bringing the Trucking Industry Summit uh, out which is on the 30th of July. It's at the new Christchurch Convention Centre. Um, it'll be the go-to industry uh, conference this year short and sharp to allow for your busy schedules and there'll be an opportunity to talk direct to regulators and government officials about your industry issues and hear from industry experts about new and emerging technologies, which we've been talking about before. Um, so there's a full lineup, and um, yeah, so give us a call. So is that all on the website? Line up for the summit? And... Yep, yeah, that'll be all on the website. Is and, it um, um, same format as the other two? Hit it hard one day, get in, get out, ask the questions, get the answers, go home. Pretty well, but just on a, a bigger scale, and um, yeah, and um, no, so it should be good. And we've got a networking function on the Friday night as well for right. those who want to come down early. So, okay, um, right, yep. Sort of social stuff there. So cool. that's a pretty good roundup of everything that's uh, on the plate at the moment at the association. Sounds like you guys are really busy. If you've got your summit, and then you've got the TMC show, you're recommissioning the the truck in a new format, which I think we might get you on board next month and actually have a specific interview on that truck and and what's changed and what it's about i think i think that'd be well worth doing and um, i would be happy to do that dave fantastic fantastic thanks for your time once again and uh go well for a month and we'll talk to you in about 32 days time sounds like a plan dave no look forward to it cheers one final industry comment today from blake noble managing director of transcon where to start between horrific uh fuel prices that just seem to be growing at a, a rate of knots um, beyond what any of us could forecast or any information would predict, proving extremely difficult, along with a whole lot of other costs, to actually, um, I guess, accurately capture. And uh, I know for a lot of carriers, the, the, the fuel adjustment system that they may have in place um, is all well and good when, when fuel in particular is, is sitting at a you know, reasonably consistent level, but the, the rates of increase we've seen have just been uh, out of this world and again with government intervention on the road user charges doesn't really seem to have aided too much um it's yeah it, it, it's a challenging time at best on that front and i guess we all need to make sure that we are doing everything that we can um to begin that recovery the accuracy of what we do and the communication to customers of what we're experiencing uh noting that transport is, is obviously but one of their inputs and uh you know, no doubt they'll be hearing this from, from multiple fronts. I guess in line with this around uh, spending and, and costs, the uh, Minister of Transport, Michael Waters, proudly just unveiled the sort of Road to Zero boat toll campaign um, for which we now own, and I say we being people of New Zealand, our uh, lovely $10,000 zeros uh, illuminated to signal the, the launch of this program. And what concerned me was just that the lack of accountability that seems to exist with with spending on such things you know the the effort that goes into us generating uh, the income that provides road user charges general fuel tax other taxes that we're paying and what would seem relatively frivolous expenses to 
to just be, be brushed off absolutely blows my mind and it, it seems to be an increasing trend. And I guess while on the topic of accountability um, and, and expenditure is a, certainly a writing project in, uh, in, in my neck of the woods, which is the, the NX2 uh, Pūhu Walkworth uh, motorway extension, which up until a few weeks ago was was uh, supposedly on, on track to be opened and uh, revealed to the public as of next month. Uh, but a, a press release last week has indicated this is now pushed out until next year, uh, noting that there's no specific time as to when next year, just simply next year. And uh, wouldn't we all love to operate in an environment where we could just say to a customer or a key stakeholder, look, you know, not quite going to get there, but we'll uh, we'll get there next year sometime. Uh, it just would be a a, a very <laughs> unique world at best, and I I am perplexed that um, there can just be such significant projects or such significant inputs, but more critically, significant out, outputs and outcomes. Uh, we're talking about on the one hand a, a road safety campaign uh, to get road to zero, yet we can't create the accountability at the construction and safety side to, to actually get the projects well funded, planned, uh, approved and into, into place in any timely manner. So um, it, does, it just doesn't seem to line up for me. Join us on Trucking Radio 24-7 as we travel on the road with thousands of New Zealand truck drivers. If you want to reach and influence the transport market, Trucking Radio will get your business in the ears of the transport industry's decision makers, operators and drivers 24-7. Well, that's about it for uh, this month, guys. But um, I think we potentially should go back and do that beautiful noise again. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay, so where, where have I hidden it? Uh, where have I hidden it? Uh, oh, the big red button. Oh, it was, uh, no, it? I don't think it's the big red the button. The big orange button. No, no, not the big red button. The it's this orange. one. There it is. Funny how we can. So if you know what that is, name of the truck. Do we need the uh, engine number as well, Dave? Are you getting specific on it? <laughs> oh, you can you can tell us whatever you like. You can tell us whatever you like, Muzz. But well, no, if you guess, if you basically guess the engine, then and uh, we'll do every everyone goes into the into the pot, and we just do a random number check and random number generator, and she pops up uh, pops up the winner. But hey, I do want to just bring something up before we finish with the beautiful noise thing here. Um, a couple of months ago, we had a beautiful noise competition. This is this is a measure of the caliber of the people in the transport industry. And you'll all know, don't get me starting on on heroes in the transport industry because they've formed the, the basis of my life. But the caliber of the people, Kevin Clotworthy won the beautiful noise a few months ago. And uh, in regard to the prize, he said, no, 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 don't worry about that. Just donate the equivalent to St. John's. Oh, what a man. Well, right. Yeah. Yep. So uh, St. John's enjoying the subscription. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. The ambulances won't be leaving the shed because I'll be like, oh, I've got to turn the next page. <laughs> All right, that's great. And if you think you know what that beautiful noise is, of course, Dave at nztrucking.co.nz. That's Dave at nztrucking.co.nz. Well, boys, it's a, it's kind of a pleasure. I, I can see a couple of you. I can t- I can touch Carl, but all I can see is uh, is Dave suspiciously looking 
over towards Gavin for some reason. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I really wouldn't, after what you've just said, I wouldn't uh, poke too much shit at us, mate. I'll give you the tip. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, have a great week, guys. We'll see you in uh, well, just over a month, eh? Yeah, fantastic. Cheers, well, that's all the Magical. best, mate.